because this stuff has to have an emotive quality because we're you know we're not thinking creatures that feel we're feeling creatures that think and that's really important that's the whole thing of bottom up as opposed to top down most neuroplastic techniques come top down they are more conceptual the bottom up which is where i play is more perceptual more perception than cognition hi this is garnet dupuy and you're listening to the lifestylist podcast I'm Luke Story from LukeStory.com, and here's some of the fun we'll get in today with the one and only Garnett Dupuy on number 457. What sparked Garnett's interest in neuroplasticity, brain engagement, and how it compares to conventional brain entrainment, brain priming, and sensory enrichment, why the brain prefers pattern recognition versus novelty, what we're learning from psychedelic research that relates to brain engagement methods. Light and sound techniques called lucid microdosing or neurodosing. How the neurovisor was so thoughtfully developed. Stacking microdosing with the neurovisor and the G-spot of the brain and working with the expanded female orgasm. The hypnagogic state and the fourth state of consciousness. And finally, we cover something Garnett calls the fourth state deficiency syndrome. You'll find some beefy show notes and links over at lukestory.com slash Garnett. That's G-A-R-N-E-T. And here's a bit about our guest before we dive into the abyss of consciousness. Garnett is an integrative healthcare specialist and inventor with a primary focus on consciousness and biophilic technologies. The first language light and sound neurovisor is a wearable headset designed to generate a neuroplastic sensory enrichment experience known as brain engagement. And I got my hands on the neurovisor a couple months ago and I knew from that moment I just had to interview this cat, and I've been using it just about every day since, and I got to say, I am hella impressed. This thing is very cool, so I'm excited to share uh, not only the inventor, but everything about it with you today. If by the end of the show you want to try it for yourself, you can visit neurovisor.com and use the code LUKE100 for 100 bucks off. That's N-E-U-R-O-V-I-Z-R, neurovisor.com. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the fascinating world of Garnett Dupuis on the Lifestylist podcast. So Garnett, we were talking about before we started here, uh, this idea around the, the way I framed it was open-mindedness versus yeah. closed-mindedness because yeah. you were talking about how our superstitions hinder our capacity for growth and evolution. I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing what you yeah, said. Yeah, and I yeah. said, yeah, that's... That's like my interpretation of open-mindedness versus closed-mindedness where not only can new ideas and information and ways of thinking and being get in, but also old, played-out, stuck ways of Uh thinking and being also get trapped within and you can't get out of that operating system. And then you started to explore the correlation between those concepts and neuroplasticity. And I want to just dive in right there. Boom. Let's do that. Okay. Okay. Let's not pretend that we know brain, mind, and which is what, and is, are they together or the same or different. Uh, let's just accept that we have a mind and there's a brain and somehow they all work together. Okay. Because what you were saying it sounds more mental, more almost psychological. Right, right. right. And it's true. And from my understandings, it's also true neurologically. 
So it's like, oh, that's good. That's good. So there's not an opposition, right? There's a a complementarity there. So I like to talk about the neurology, knowing that it's totally translatable into the psychology. I don't like separating the two. And I don't know how to separate them, frankly. To me, they're not separated, so why bother to try? So um, I'm a monster fan of a particular model of the brain uh, called the entropic brain model. Uh, Robin Carhart Harris, if you know the guy, Imperial College, uh, London. And uh, they use psychedelics in research not really to understand the psychedelics, but to use psychedelics to understand the brain. So it's a vantage point that's unique. Uh, Some people might get turned off to the concept that it's using psychedelic compounds. That's not the point at all. And uh, the entropic brain model, there's also another one. I don't know if if people know these guys, you know, Carl Friston, he's a preposterously brilliant genius that knows all kinds of things and it's hard to understand him. But he's got this thing called the free energy principle. And he got together with uh, Carhart Harris and modified entropic brain model into the anarchic brain. So there are these models and they sound peculiar or high tech or strange, but they're pretty simple. They're pretty simple, and I love their simplicity because they help me understand what we were just talking about, open mind, closed mind. So I don't know exactly where you want to go in this conversation, (laughs) but we can go a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. So What what I did there, uh, I think, is called pulling a Tarantino, where you kind of go to the end of the the story, (laughs) you know, at the beginning. I was just excited because we touched on something, and I had that thought, which I have quite often, like, God, we should be recording this. And I Uh hadn't hadn't pressed record yet, so I wanted to make sure and capture that. But now what I'd like to do is actually just back up a little bit. Okay, Um, okay. You know, you just... you you I like Tarantino. You know, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I mean, I love that kind of storytelling, it, yeah. you know, and we're going to talk about how the brain, um, you know, benefits from novelty and unpredictability, even though it wants predictability, mm-hmm. it seems to grow. And so I think that's why we like maybe guys like us like how stories are told in a nonlinear way. Yeah, well, uh, okay. I mean, you're, okay, you got, <laughs> anyway, you got me all hot and heavy right now, so I'm gonna, let's go. <laughs> I'm going to go a little, a little linear. So you're here in Austin visiting your daughter, but you live in northern Thailand. That's and right. I, I find that just a curiosity. Anytime I meet an expat, I think, God, you know, what, what motivated you to make a big move <laughs> like that? And, and how did you make it work? You know, anytime uh, I travel uh, to another yeah. country, I think, you know, I meet an American or Brit there or something. I think, God, how did you do it? You know, how do you adapt to that big of a change? Wow. Um, I'll skip all the details. Uh, I'm a French Canadian farm boy and none of my family went anywhere. And as soon as I finished uh, last year in university, it's the end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s. So you can maybe imagine the time. I moved to Isfahan, Iran, uh, because I couldn't go to Mars, right? <laughs> so I don't know, you know, I, the, um, there's a feeling. Uh, the analogy I'll say is like with a bloodhound, that once it's on the scent, I, I think this is true, by the way, I've never really had a bloodhound, but once they're on the scent, they stay on the scent. They don't lift their head and say, "Mm, I think it's over there on that hilltop. Let me just do a shortcut. So I've tried to follow the scent of uh, consciousness, of the sacred, of that special thing that 
makes sense and nothing else really makes sense. I tried to follow that my whole life, and uh, I ended up spending a lot of time in Asia, uh, a lot of different parts of Asia, and uh, then decided to jump as high as I could from Southern California. The world was spinning, and I landed in Thailand. Wow, wow. <laughs> it was something like that. And you live up in the mountains there? Yeah. In yeah. Chiang Mai area? Outside of Chiang Mai. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a mountain forest kind of guy. And yeah. uh, uh, there's a lot there that is uh, important to me. Uh, and uh, I've lived enough in the cities. Um, oh, tell me about it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I do uh, some uh, wild animal rescue conservation work as well with Southeast Asian apes, and that's a big deal for me. Wow, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I, I built and have a sanctuary and manage. And, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot there. Oh, man. There's a lot there. So, you know, I can't do that in Malibu. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah, not. Yeah, but I lived 30 years in Southern California. Yeah, me too, 32. Yeah, well, wow. 32. This is my first attempt at, at an escape from urban life, but I, I'm still, you know, Dude. <laughs> I, I'm still within 30 minutes from the city, you know, yeah. but to me, this feels pretty country yeah. uh, after okay. living in Hollywood all those years. Yeah. But, Ooh, uh, okay, that's fair. But when I get really far out, yeah. I, I always have the feeling like, no, no, I need to be living out here. But then, you know, the practicality of how do you do that sets in. So this well, is, okay, okay. The, know, but this is the whole point is about, the adaptation to change, which, yeah, which yeah. is really at the core of what I think we'll talk about today. You know, NeuroVisor and this whole thing uh, that um, uh, there are the two, two words that begin with C kind of lock me into my focus. Uh, consciousness that we've already mentioned. And the other is change. Um, to me, the dynamics of change totally fascinate me because adaptation or learning or growing all these things mean in to some degree in some way that here you are and you're going to be different there has to be some kind of a change and uh yeah, I'm a sucker for alliterations. Maybe I like language. Not as much as Jamie. Jamie is in love with words. I saw the... Uh, I'm, I'm a Jamie fan. Jamie Wheel? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's like Mr. Word. Yeah, uh, that, was a, that was a fun podcast. That yeah. was one... I've had this experience a few times where um, I find... Like I'm just barely hanging on to someone intellectually. <laughs> you know I, mean? I, I got I'm, I'm not trying to like belittle myself. It's just you know you meet someone that's really yeah. brilliant like yeah. that, and especially such a wordsmith and a, yeah. just yeah. a brilliant orator. I just sit there and go, okay, hang on, Luke, stay in it, stay in it. It's like fighting Mike Tyson, you know. And you're just, no, I don't. You're well, these days on. that would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. Anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, okay, a little bit of wordplay, but to me, I've spent a good part of my life trying to understand and appreciate that if you make a change you have a chance to make a choice Ooh, nice right change chance choice so how and you know i spent a uh, most of my life under a tibetan uh, zogchen teacher but a lot of my life under a korean Taoist teacher and Taoism is all about the dynamics of change you know the i ching the oldest, you know, binary analysis of change, I Ching means classic of change, mm. right? So it's all like change. And uh, then the big hot news neurologically, you know, it's not that long ago, maybe we can say about 15 years ago, is that the human adult brain 
we saw it before, it would change, but only to degenerate. And of course, everybody, not everybody, but most of us know that the news is that the human adult brain can change for the positive. So here's that word change again. So understanding what change is, how to change, how to harness change, uh, to me seems to be like the, the game plan, the game plan, adaptation. You know, you mentioned, uh, yeah, I'm a farm boy in Canada and I'm living in the mountains in northern Thailand with apes. That's not exactly linear, right? So how do we, uh, how do we deal with change? Because change is going to happen. How do, like, how do we do it in a way that is positive? That's uh, the primary intrigue in my life, which is why the technology that I do now is built on the dynamics of change. It's all about change and consciousness. I don't think you can have consciousness without change. So it's like change is inevitable, but the direction of that change and the, the outcome is, mm -hmm. is dependent on our intention and I guess the means by which we change. Right, because you can yeah. set an intention to change, but not have the proper tools yeah. and resources, and fail at that change. And if you just do nothing <laughs> and just go into entropy, uh, then you're going to essentially, you know, in terms of brain health and just functionality, you're going to degrade. So the change is going to happen, but it's going to be yeah. the inertia of nature that's sort of dragging you into a decline. Well, this is this is it. This is you know, how I spend most of my time at this point in my life, is trying to understand that with not only the philosophical attitudes that support it, but also with the best of neurological science that is understanding it in some cases, making it more clear, uh, giving you the base for methods. A lot of the work that I do now, frankly, is based on you know, a, a mountain of research that has a different context now. The context has changed with the idea, the understanding that your brain, my brain, no matter what the state of your brain today, it can be better tomorrow. It's like, well, I'll repeat it. No matter what the state of your brain today, if you know how, your brain can be better tomorrow. That's good news. That's great news. <laughs> That's great news. As you say that, I'm thinking back to long periods of time epochs of time in my life where um <laughs> where my brain was just really in bad shape yeah you know and yeah, thus yeah. were my emotions and just yeah, the yeah, yeah. thoughts that i lived with and yeah. and of course then the actions that manifested out of that state of being in in the world were much less than positive for anyone i interacted with because there was so much inherent suffering yeah. as a result of that mental dysfunction yeah. some of it yeah. physical some of it spiritual a disconnection from self and from truth yeah. meaning yeah. consciousness i think um there are okay here are two questions that i sometimes juice a group with right um one is would you like to live a long life raise your hand for the most part right i say okay that's cool long life do you know statistically in industrialized countries most of us live in them that between the age of 80 and 85, which is pretty much a long life these days, very probable, the chances of you experiencing dementia are about 50-50. So, happy birthday, Luke. Here's a coin. <laughs> Flip it. Right. Heads, you're okay. Tails, 
you have dementia progressing towards Alzheimer's. Wow. It's like, well, let me roll back a little bit on this thought. Uh, the other is the, the odd separation that, well, some of us have, at least we separate the brain from the body. Like we are into fitness and to health and what I'm doing and, you know, tracking your, how many burps you did today and everything that's happened. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And then the question, well, what have you done for your brain today? Right. I mean, list all the things you've done for, and okay, there's some new tropics or this and that, but the fact is, is that the brain is physical. When I go like this, my brain is lighting up. So I think divorcing or neglecting or denying uh, brain wellness, brain health, uh, is a mistake. And the fact is in the same way that exercise sports medicine has gone through incredible analytical growth over the past 30, 40 years, how to optimize, right? We have to do that for the brain or else guess what? You live a long life, but you know, the you is going bit by bit, by by, day by day. And that's, that's tragic. That's horrible. And it's practically epidemic. Wow. It's practically epidemic. So if you can do something to save your ass and your brain, it's probably a good idea. Yeah. I love that perspective. A lot of people that are into all the health and biohacking um, seem to have an interest in, in living a really long time and the longevity aspect. And I, when I think about that, I get scared you know <laughs> so it's like i just turned 52 the other day my vision's not so great i mean oh, you're a little blurry right there yeah, but I'm, yeah. i don't want to get that addicted helps to, the wrinkles man i don't <laughs> yeah i don't want to get addicted to wearing glasses uh you know other issues back pain weird stuff okay you know okay. tinnitus in my ear it's like i have the signs of aging yet overall my my vitality mm -hmm. my energy my yeah. sleep quality i've never been healthier mm -hmm. ever you know mm -hmm. if you mm -hmm. just go metabolically right yeah yeah labs yeah. are all great and all that uh -huh. but man i wouldn't want to live a day longer if i was in deep suffering or didn't have the capacity to enjoy life what happens if if you know the the lights start to get dim and you know one of the first things is typically memory and then analytical recall and then famously names and it's like wait a minute because you know we were told we as a culture were told up until pretty recently and it still really isn't like front page front page news that the only thing that happens to your brain is it degenerates like you can't grow new brain cells i don't know if you remember hearing these things yeah they're, i do they're, they're, well that's wrong well yeah. it's not wrong in in context yes you can lose brain cells that's bad however you can also grow new ones that's good. So let's do the, the full sentence here. I'd say. <laughs> let's tell the whole truth. <laughs> let's do the whole truth. You reminded me when I was a teenager uh, in my early life, I was terribly, I was terribly, <laughs> late, late, late life. I was, I was terribly addicted to cannabis from uh -huh. yeah, when yeah. I was a little kid. I mean, I started yeah. smoking it very young and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, just trauma yeah. and all the things that make a kid want to check out and sure. so uh i did so but i started really young you know they say your brain isn't fully developed until you're 25 26 yeah. i got sober when i was 26 <laughs> right and started using when i was at eight or nine right yeah. and yeah. so that yeah, whole yeah. period of when my brain is supposed to be developing i'm not only throwing cannabis at it but later on all kinds of other sure, sure. toxic shit too yeah. but there was all of this in the 80s there was all of this propaganda around like 
yeah, marijuana is going to make you grow breasts. And I mean, you used to see this in the doctor's <laughs> office. That might be true because I'm kind of... I'm, I'm sitting up straight. I'm all probably of a at, a, at an A cup by now. But um, but there were years when I did not have man boobs uh, after smoking copious amounts of weed. But, it, but I, yeah. when I ended up getting sober, I was yeah. like so afraid, like... Because I was so damaged yeah. mentally. I was yeah, so afraid yeah. I would never be able to come back, yeah. you know, because of all that misinformation, really, that, yeah. you know, once you've damaged your brain with yeah. drugs and weed and all this, that you're just stuck in that dimly lit yeah. awareness for the rest of your life. You're and just you're, a dumbass. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And there were many years, probably 10, where I mm. really felt dumb because I, I didn't have resources like the Neurovisor and mm. nootropics and mm-hmm. all the things that I've done, hyperbaric chambers and all the yeah, great yeah, yeah, things yeah, you yeah, can yeah. do for your um, neuroplasticity and circulation in the brain. So mm. it's really good news to know now that science has evolved to the point where we understand, no, you, you can actually... more, at least. A yeah. Little, yeah, we understand <laughs> a little instead of nothing. <laughs> it's like... A a massive difference between nothing and it's like all the infinite spaces between zero and one. Right, right. Yeah. right. Okay. I, I got I to have to toss this in because you mentioned the age thing. I have a, yeah. a formula about how we should measure age. Okay, 25 is neurologically the claim, but I just say 20 because it's an easier number to do the math. I think that a person should count their age, whatever it is. You said you're 52? Yeah. Okay. Minus 20, so you're a 32-year-old adult. I think you can claim 32, because the first, the first 20 are growing up and confused. and, and all, all, But, you know, I, I think that, so when you speak to somebody, I think knowing their adult age makes a lot more sense than knowing their birth chronological age. You know, for example, uh, okay, you're that, so that makes you 32 years old, right? I'm 73. So it that makes me fifty three years old. Yeah, yeah. In terms of life experience as an adult, I think that gives a person a much better fair shake at decisions that they make and what they've done and achieved and the whole thing. If you kind of like wipe out the first twenty years, because who knows, everything happens. But then you're kind of in the saddle. So. I think that's that's a great uh, principle, and that makes a lot of sense yeah. to me, especially thinking about how misguided I was. I mean, really, if I'm honest, probably till I was 30, 35, <laughs> I started to get a little bit of a clue of how to act yeah. in the world. And, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure this is on topic, but yeah. I have another, I have a lot of theories, right? Cause I you love know, it. Throw okay. Them out. okay. One is, I don't think a woman really comes into herself. I'm averaging, right? I think when she hits around 40, that's, that's the time she's going to pretty much know what she wants, what she doesn't want, what she'll accept, what she won't accept. That's my general experience so far. Not that I've had a lot of experience with women. You get my plan. But I think the same cycle is about 50 for a man. I'm not going to argue. Yeah, I think around about that time. I'm two years on the other side of 50, and I really think, and maybe I would have thought this when I was 40 too also, but... I think now in my life, I'm just starting to kind of get a grip on things. There you go. You know, like I pretty sure i know what i'm doing here and why i'm doing it yeah, yeah. um but if you ask me that 15 years ago there's a lot of confusion um at least at the very least ambiguity about yeah. what this thing's all about yeah uh, confusion um I hear you. Yeah. anyway so here we are running running around the race no, this is great yeah, yeah. I, I i knew from listening to a couple of your other interviews and i'm glad you haven't done a ton of them i know you do a lot of public speaking but yeah. you you haven't been on 50 podcasts and yeah. i'm like number 51 yeah um 
So I'm really, I knew we were going to have a great conversation. Yeah. Uh, one that I probably wouldn't need notes for, but there were some things I definitely wanted to specifically yeah, yeah, uh, go for it. ask you about yourself. Sure. And, you know, for those listening, how I met um, Garnett was through Dr. Har Hari in yeah. LA, who's been on the show. Yeah. He sent me a link to your, your Neurovisor, uh, uh-huh. this thing here. And he's, he's pretty trustworthy when it comes to cool stuff. Yeah. Like he doesn't just text me random stuff. He's like, this thing's amazing. You got to get one. Yeah. It's in yeah, development. Yeah. They're, you know, they're just launching, et cetera. Um, so that's how I found out about you. But got I'm it. curious, what did you do for, for work and a career and things like that before you launched this, uh, this brand and this product? Okay. I mentioned a farm boy. Uh, uh, I like analogies. So um, I learned young that you had to milk all four tits of the cow. <laughs> Okay, I like it. All right. So um, uh, my whole life has been in integrative healthcare and wellness, one way or the other. So I've been, these are the four tits, by the way, in case you wonder what I'm doing here. One has been a practitioner. Uh, The other is an educator. Another is a consultant slash businessman. And the other is an inventor designer. Uh, It... uh, this is on the edge of sounding like bullshit, but it isn't for me that it just seems like one topic. There's only, it's just, it's all one thing. And I, I love reading and research. And I used to get really uptight because I wanted to finish this book because I had all these other books that I wanted to read. And at one point I thought, you know, it's just all one book. So generally I read 10 books at a time, roughly, and I'll just kind of surf from one to the other. And you know, it's just a lot more comfortable. So how did I, what did I do? Uh, I did the first day spa in LA in 88. Uh, I, I have a big 20-year-old spa in Bangkok now. And I've, I have a, a Singapore-based company in Thai and Estonian and developing tech. And I've done a lot of consulting. I'm just like damned lucky, number one. And number two, damned lucky. And number three, uh, no risk, no reward. So um, I've been, I don't know the word anymore. It's like a hard word that kind of sticks in my throat, but I've been spiritual my whole life. Um, it's, I've never had a choice. It would have been a choice to not follow that path. Uh, so I'm deeply interested in consciousness and I follow, you know, uh, traditions seriously uh, in practices. And, uh, I had, you know, a fantastic positive experience with psychedelics when I was younger, uh, and I don't do now, although I, because of experimentation with the device, you know, microdosing and these things, um, I'm a boring guy. Uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't drink, I don't smoke, I, I don't just like, you know, what do you do? Well, you know, I try to open my mind and my brain and i take care of apes you know yeah <laughs> here i am to me that's exciting there's nothing more interesting than meditating there would have been a time in my life when you know that was not true but yeah i mean the places one can go when you're exploring consciousness or you know, at least to me infinitely more interesting than here in the 3D. no i want to be right here this is this is this is my trip uh right now this is my meditation right now if i, if I don't take the chance to just like soak you and this up, then all the other stuff I misunderstood. Mm, that's a great point. Right. Like if, if it's, it's about, I mean, we did everything in our life for this exact instant. So don't miss the parade. So an integration 
Mm. That's the word that comes to mind. We'll talk about that because I've got a gun loaded right. on information integration. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> like, good. I got a lot of guns here, man. Like, you know, I'm in Texas. <laughs> okay. Lock and load. <laughs> yeah, you, you certainly are, sir. You're in the thick of it now. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. So you I'll, talk- have, I'll have trouble over that, but that's okay. I'm pretty much obsessed with water. In fact, I've dedicated around a dozen shows to it. Why? Because water is the basis of all life, including ours. 99% of the molecules in our body are made of water. I've been playing around with ways to restore the natural structure or order of my water for years. And to be honest, until now, it's been challenging to determine what works and what doesn't. So I was beside myself with excitement when I found this thing called the Analemma Wand. From the moment I got it, I have literally used it on all of our drinking water ever since. And I even use it to structure the water in our pool and ice bath. Check it out. The guys over at Analemma did a study showing it unleashes the body's own natural rejuvenating power, resulting in 1 to 12 years of biological age regeneration within only three months. It's crazy. And drinking Analemma water powerfully benefits the brain by calming your brain waves almost instantly. But perhaps the coolest part of all is that it's so easy to use. You simply stir your water with the quartz wand for about 30 seconds, and that water retains its structure for years. To find out more, visit analemmawater.com and use the code LUKE5 to get 5% off your purchase. That's A-N-A-L-E-M-M-A, analemmawater.com, and the code is LUKE5. And if all of this sounds too good to be true, give a listen to episode 431, where the inventors break down all the research and science on this thing. It's pretty incredible. A lot of people... uh that have listened to the show for a while have heard people yeah. use the term brain entrainment. So I've interviewed, yeah. you know, all kinds of people yeah. into neurofeedback and all yeah. kinds of things, right? Yeah. And and I noticed that you use a different term yeah. uh, in conjunction to the work you're doing with Neurovisor and that's yeah. brain engagement. So maybe you yeah. could break down the, the uh, defining characteristics of those and yeah, how okay. they differ. Uh, I'd be happy to, right? It's a biggie. Um, the uh, Because I've been doing this for uh, a while, I mentioned my age, so... Uh, you know, biohacking to me is the sequel to the human potential movement. Like, you know, you know the definition of a, of a sequel? What? Take something that you've done right and keep on doing it until you get it wrong. <laughs> that's good. Anyway, that's good. That's just, let's In put the film that industry, that is definitely uh, yeah, yeah. applicable. Okay, anyway... Um, Brain engagement, brain... Okay, I was involved in brain entrainment in the mid-80s, and uh, it's a principle which is based on a neurological fact. It's called the frequency-following response. That it was recognized in the 30s, nobody knew what to do with it. It kind of went to sleep. Technology was too poor in any way to really be analytical. came alive in the 60s, pretty much in the 70s. So once... And we know this, listen to music and you tap your foot. And you don't have to have effort to do it because the brain will tend to follow a repeated signal, a frequency-following response. So the word that evolved was brain entrainment for frequency-following. So those two things mean the same thing. And this was a real big deal in the early ages of biofeedback and brain entrainment. It all hit pretty much early-mid-80s. Brain entrainment works but not as well as you'd like, is the honest truth, in my opinion. And it sucks at neuroplastic change, and I'll tell you why. Um, I'm interested in neuroplastic change. I use brain entrainment in certain purposes 
brain entrainment reinforces existing order in the brain. That's very important to understand. In the model, the, the entropic brain model, which inevitably I'll talk about because I must, right, that uh, there is an upper zone of information access and a lower zone of information integration. Integration is really important in the brain because it lets us do what we're doing right now. When I look at you, your head doesn't turn into flame. Well, it is right now. Let me calm that. <laughs> right, right that, that we have a, a reliable interpretation of what's going on. That reliability is, you know, from the neo-Darwinian, it really is good for survival. <clears throat> when you walk down the stairs, your foot goes to where you think the step is. We need that. Brain entrainment helps reinforce existing order in the brain. It works at cementing certainty. Okay. I'm interested in the, the polarity of that, the complementary thing, where there are times when what you have as a pattern doesn't match the adaptive demand. You've got to make something new. So how do you make something new? Well, brain entrainment doesn't do that. Brain entrainment reinforces, and I'll tell you, the precisely the, the formula of how to get the brain to change. There's a precise formula. And you'll see that the brain entrainment, which is not a bad thing. I'm not coming down on brain entrainment, but, you know, it's like there's salt and pepper. Don't think salt is pepper. Salt is salt. Brain entrainment works at cementing, um, fortifying pre-existing orders, what are called technically the priors uh, that are in, in the brain. So because I'm interested in change, and I know those techniques don't act towards the dynamics of change. They don't act towards neuroplastic triggering. I think, well, I'm going to call it something different. So I thought I made up a term called brain engagement. Engagement. And, uh, you know, I mean, this is the big deal. This is a real big deal, is knowing how to engage the brain for dynamic change. Okay, so this is the, the quickie. I'm a talker, so, you know, jump in anytime. Hey, we got plenty of time. Okay, well, I love plenty of time. This is a <laughs> podcast where we don't leave anything out. <laughs> okay, what's for dinner? <laughs> yeah, in many cases, somebody has to drag us out of here. Or yeah. The next guest shows up okay. or something. I'm like, oh, we got to end. But okay. no, we're, okay. we're fine. Please elaborate. There are three things in any method for neuroplastic change that you have to have. It doesn't matter what the technique is. These three principles or elements have to be there. And for camera, there's a secret sauce, a fourth. So the first thing is the technique, the method requires sustained attention, focus, attention without tension T. So you've got to be drawn into it. It, it holds a kind of a magnetic quality. And when you think of it, Pleasure and pain, what do they have in common? Right? So I always use this analogy, so if it's on camera somewhere else, I apologize. Let's say right now that uh, I took an ice pick and jammed it several times into your left knee. Right? I assume that would be painful. Let's say, and this is maybe a bit peculiar, but we can imagine it. Let's say suddenly your left knee has some kind of orgasm, very pleasurable. What do those two things have in common? your attention goes to your left knee. 
So there's something precisely important about matching adaptive demand that both pain and pleasure use your attention. That's number one. Number two is this thing called marginal demand. If you can lift 30 kilos, well, we're in the U.S. If you can lift 50 pounds, I'm not going to give you 70 pounds if I'm a trainer. I'm going to give you maybe 52 pounds or 55 pounds, that there's a demand level that is marginal to your threshold. So it's a little bit difficult. It's not like really hard, but it's like a little bit. That's why in the Neurovisor sessions, you know, we'll talk about that, where the light and sound, sometimes there's a little bit of a hoo-ha, like hang in because of that marginal demand quality. So, you know, in that way, the brain responds to a kind of exercise principle, just like the body as a whole, right? So what do you have to have for neuroplastic methodology? Sustained, focused attention, marginal demand, a little bit hard, but not really. And then the third thing, a little bit more diffuse, is kind of an open-minded belief, a willingness. You know, you don't do it like, ah, this shit is stupid. My wife makes me want to do it. I'll do it. Okay, but it's not going to work. Like that degrades the neuroplastic stimulation <laughs> I bet. potential. I bet. <laughs> and, yeah. and Allison, you didn't hear that. <laughs> anyway, so those are the three. Focused attention. This is about brain entrainment, by the way. Yeah. Focused attention, marginal demand, open-minded willingness. And the fourth, the secret sauce that exponentially kicks up these three is you enjoy it. Like, I, I really, like, wow, I really love this doing that because it's a very complex neural hormonal state called enjoy. Enjoy is, is special neural hormonally. So if you toss in that, that alchemy of enjoyment, the other three work better. Okay, now, brain entrainment. Again, I'm not coming down on it. It's just what it is what it is. Frequency following response means that when the signal repeats over and over again, your brain will follow it kind of automatically. You don't have to have focused attention. And because the brain is, the signal actually superimposes on the brain for about six minutes, then the brain might start to fire up on its own. But that's a side point. That you don't have to pay attention because your brain will follow the frequency because it is so predictable. If it's so predictable, don't worry, it's going to happen because our brain is basically a prediction-making organ. It looks for predictability. That's a lot of the other entropic brain theory. And it's not difficult. There's no marginal demand. As a matter of fact, it's easy. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to, quote, pay attention. Just lay back and listen to the whatever it is. So what you see is the cardinal first and second elements that make a neuroplastic technique engage the brain are absent in brain entrainment. Wow, that's super cool. Very interesting distinction. Yeah. Would you give a couple examples for those that are unaware of um, some modality that would use the entrainment? Would it be binaural beats or neurofeedback or something <laughs> of that nature? If I hear binaural <laughs> beats again, I will. Um, <laughs> yes, I have a little bit of emotion attached to binaural beats because it's it was so well understood. You know, it was first, the, the first public publication uh, it was Scientific America, 1973, binaural beats. Like, there's this phenomena. 
that you put something here and a little something different here and the brain gets the middle. So 20 hertz here, 25 hertz there, and the brain says, oh, it's about five hertz. So it's real, it works. Um, it's, it's audio for the most part, although there is some secret talk that, about binoptics, we'll skip that, um, but binaurals. It was also understood in the, because it was a lot of heavy duty research at the time. There was a lot of promise unfulfilled, I have to say. Read books like Megabrain and so on that were written in the mid late 80s. You know, this stuff was, I was going to say shit, right? This stuff was, <laughs> was going to change everything, and it didn't. So, anyway, it was understood that binaural beats work as a superimposition. And if you continue regularly, for about six minutes minimum, then the brain would probably start to pick up and do it. Before that, it's called superimposition. The brain is not really following it. The brain is, is being forced upon the brain. Like it overrides the brain. Superimposition. And then the brain will say, okay, you know, I give up, I'll do it. So um, it was well understood in publications and good research papers that binaural beats work, but not very well. Isochronic, which can be as irritating as like a dog that won't stop barking, work very, very well. So what you find out is that crafting uh, soundscapes, I'll call them, with isochronics or monochronics that work really, really well is tough because you got to kind of be artful at putting in those sounds that could be irritating is all hell like a pink noise kind of sound yeah, yeah, like you, you do that otherwise it's like me 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 right. me 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 I used, you reminded me of something i forgot about yeah. i used to do these hemi-sync tracks yeah from, yeah the, same deal from the monroe institute monroe, yeah let's let's astral project together right? yeah. <laughs> that was the whole i used thing. to listen to that stuff for hours yeah, just because well, my yeah. head was on fire and I, it felt like cool water you yeah. know okay you're a stoic i mean good for you yeah, yeah. but there was uh i remember those some of those tracks yeah. were really weird like a wow 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 yeah. you know this kind of stuff <laughs> well i'll give you credit then you 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 hung in I did. but most people won't want to hang in especially because we're so conditioned that you know it's I sometimes swear, so if shit slips out. Oh, I'm no, sorry. it's okay. fine. Okay, it's fine. So that, you know, we want shit to be, to always be uh, like pleasant or good or, you know, I don't know, whatever. So the thing is with binaural beats is that it's drop dead easy to make any kind of fluid Celtic harp or bird or whatever, and you have this kind of back in there. So it's pleasant for the listener. It's, it's not irritating as it potentially could be if you don't know how to do it. So it is like dumbass easy, sorry, <laughs> uh, to, to make brain entrainment using binaural beats. The fact is, and I'm sorry, it's just that they don't work as well as other brain signaling for the frequency following response. And we're still talking about entrainment here. That's entrainment. Not the next, the other category, the, uh, the engagement. engagement. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Would, um, where would um, neurofeedback and different biofeedback, would any of them uh, be, from your perspective, um, classified within that first category no, of entrainment? No, no, it's different. I mean, uh, to understand, uh, like neurofeedback. Neurofeedback is really the only form of biofeedback that has persisted in a popular sense. I was involved in early biofeedback a lot. I have a degree in it and so on, right? So um, neurofeedback is excellent. There are competing theories amongst different societies or practitioners, so it's not like dead on certain, 
but it's very good. Uh, and depending on the skill of the practitioner and the philosophy they work with, it's really good because you can see pretty much real time behaviors going on in a person's brain and help to coach them towards other kinds of states or behaviors. It's really good. Uh, it's highly dependent, in my opinion, on the skill of the practitioner. And do know that there are different kind of methodological philosophies uh, involved in it. So it's not only one thing. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I've done neurofeedback with a number of different practitioners. And yeah. they, they all had, in some cases, pretty polarized points of view about what works, what doesn't, yeah. how you do it, how you don't, what yeah. the benefits are. And yeah. There's not a consensus in the neurofeedback you know, um, there you go. Community about it's, what it is and how you use it, essentially, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It you know, it's it's credible, uh, it's interpretive, uh, and it's not because like it's a, you know they don't know what they're doing. It's because the brain is a lot more complex, a lot more complex. Like, you know, one of the oh, we won't go down there. I have a I have many. I'm like <laughs> Google Maps here. I can go like on all these <laughs> different <laughs> directions. I, like I don't want to bury you no, in, in my esoteric, you know. I, dude, I, I love it. And if uh, anyone listens to this show on a regular basis, they're here for that. Okay. Um, so all it's, right. it's all good. All right. So hit me. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you then about uh, brain priming and sensory, sensory enrichment. Yeah. Okay. Now we're getting juicy. Um, these, well, sensory, let's talk sensory enrichment first. Uh, uh, I'm a Canadian born, U.S. citizen, live in Thailand, blah, blah. A Canadian guy named Heb, H-E-B-B, uh, in the late 40s, actually he's the father of neuroplasticity, uh, was very much intrigued about the possibility of progressive brain improvement and growth. And at that time, I mean, this is 75 years ago almost, uh, people didn't tune in. His theory ended up being called Hebbian learning. We call it neuroplasticity. Okay, so he was intrigued by sensory input. And this is, I mean, this is a monstrously big topic of sensory perception bottom up in relation to cognitive conception top down. This is like the money shot of the topic we'll get to. Sensory enrichment. So what he did is he had, you know, lab rats, same strain, same species, everything, same food, everything the same, except their environment. One had a boring environment. One had a very enriched environment. That's it. And they, you know, sacrificed the rats later on. And not only were they behaving differently when they're alive, the, the boring ones are aggressive and you know, moody and territorial, and the enriched ones seem to be like Mardi Gras. You know, it's like life's pretty good, <laughs> right? So by behavior, this is different. Then they open up their heads, gross, look at the brains, and the physical, physical brains of the sensory-enriched rats were very different. They had all of these uh, complex synaptives. They had neurogenesis. Nerves were growing. Areas of the brain were bigger than the other rats. The only thing was their environment. So that was the birth of what's called environmental enrichment. And right now, uh, I was uh, with, on a panel with a couple of Thai neurologists uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, and uh, they have this process now in at least a couple of the hospitals where they have rooms set up, and they use those rooms either for autistic kids or for early dementia because they know that the enrichment of the environment is a, is a generalized, non-specific neuroplastic trigger. 
right? Okay. So, five things. If you do these five things, you will faithfully trigger nonspecific or generalized neuroplastic growth, which means it's ready to be absorbed into some new topic, new skill. Five things. First thing, combine two of the senses. These days in autism, it's very popular among certain communities of technique. They combine touch and smell. Okay, you combine two senses for a unified experience. I combine light and sound. Number two, the experience should be uncommon. It's not the kind of thing that you normally encounter during your average day. It's unusual. It's unique. That's number two. Combine two senses, unique, diminish or free from distraction. So there shouldn't be other shit happening to compete. So combine two, unusual or uncommon, no distraction. The fourth one is you're not forced to do it. You do it of your own free will. You're not like tying you down and doing like clockwork orange. Which goes back to the secret sauce of enjoyment, That's the right? Fifth. That's the fifth one. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's the fifth one. The same thing, that it, it should or needs to be pleasant or enjoyable. If you do these right, five... Because I guess you could do something willingly, but you're not necessarily ecstatic about doing so. Well, it's just, that's why I call it the secret sauce. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's this very peculiar motivating experience called enjoy. So, undeniably, all the way back to brains of yesteryear's rats, to this point right now, there is this big thing called environmental enrichment. There's a subset called sensory enrichment. And... I work with sensory enrichment processes because they will reliably trigger generalized neuroplastic growth. Then what you do is you insert a vector or a theme or a purpose, and the brain is ready, willing, and able to absorb it. So sensory enrichment is a 70, 75-year-old methodology that now is being resurrected because of neuroplasticity. Like, oh, it's real. Heavy in learning, thanks, Heb, but now we'll call it neuroplasticity, and we can do it, and it works. So that's just research fact. 75, I'm 73, so it's like older than me. I didn't think anything was older than me. (laughs) And then the other on the quickie is brain priming. Priming basically is a real simple concept that you do something first so that the second thing works better. And that was the big, like, woo-la-la, you know, 64 Olympics, where the, the East Germans were, like, doing weird things, and it was like, well, what, you know, everyone, what's happening? Uh, they were, because there are different kinds of brain priming. There are actually six categories. We'll skip the details. But one of them we see all the time, you know, if you, if you watch basketball, you know, it's a free throw, not Shaq from those days, right? you'd see the, the guy, you know, doing like this, and then taking the shot. Well, he was priming his brain so that the second action would be better. If you do sensory enrichment processes, automatically what it does is it primes the brain for whatever you do next. uh, Okay, not a product pitch, but a, a fact. I see the neurovisor technology as everybody's best friend. I'm not in competition with any device or any method. 
or like if you want to do like you're going to do your yoga or you're going to do your neurofeedback. We have neurofeedback practitioners that use the visor before and in a 50-minute session, it drops 20 minutes off their session. The person drops right into a response at like a third to almost 40% of the session faster. Why? Because the brain is primed through a sensory enrichment process so that it's hungry. That's the whole point. Brain priming kind of makes the brain hungry for information. Wow, interesting. Well, that would explain why this morning I did two back-to-back 11-minute journeys with the Neurovisor. Yeah. Uh, just because Alice and I have been meditating together for 20 minutes. That's so a new new thing we started doing. And so I was like, well, I'll just run a double. I usually only do one. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, man, he's coming soon. You yeah. being the him. I got to get my notes prepped. And I went in my office and um, had actually not, even though I was in a hurry per se, I was uh-huh. not stressed about getting uh-huh. prepared. Uh-huh. And I found that my mental capacity was uh, really high. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was like able to be kind of logical and creative and have fun with it. It's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, so, yeah. without even knowing that priming thing, I've been playing with the neurovisor specifically before I need to do something that's mm-hmm. either mentally demanding or creative. Cool, you know, which yeah. for me usually happens at a computer. You know, I'm doing something oh. for work, yeah. um, so yeah. that that yeah, makes yeah, yeah. perfect sense. Hey, let's talk about twenty minutes. I, I can't let that one slide. Oh by. yeah, yeah. Let's I can't. Do it. I mean, come well, on. that was another question I had: yeah. is why are the journeys that are in the in the neurovisor app? They're all, I think you have five or 11 minutes you can choose. And yeah, I was yeah. always curious about that. And is there any harm in doing 20 minutes doing or 22 minutes, I guess, effectively? <laughs> no, that's not harm. Okay. okay. Why? Um, again, uh, neurologically based that the average human brain is able to st- stay with sustained attention for between 10 and 12 minutes. A simple amount of training and you, you get to that point. Then you've got to do a refresh. And then when you refresh, you can hit it again. But after the second refresh, all the local neurotransmitter um, sourcing is depleting. So you kind of max out at around that time. So this is why in like traditional shamanta, Buddhist meditation, Vipassana, you train 20 minutes. Old TM, you do 20 minutes twice a day. The halo device, which I think has gone bye-bye, you do that for 20 minutes, a motor uh, primer, right? That uh, TED Talks, 18, 20 minutes. The old, remember this TV show thing? The half-hour TV show minus the commercials was 22 minutes with a break uh, in between the the first and the second. So... These things evolve forward with efficiency because it's based on the neurology. So I thought, well, because I do a lot of experimental work with different time periods, but for the, like the bam, bam, uh, I do 11 minutes and I put in five minutes because why not? It's a kind of a reinforcement, a refresher. You don't have the time or you do 11 minutes and you want to like, just like hit it a little bit. Or if you're on a vector or a theme, because these are all theme or vector designed. They move in certain directions, uh, what are technically called probability states. So if you're working with something in the focus category, it doesn't make you focus. It works towards the probability of enhancing that state. So it, you can't really make the brain be a certain way. The brain will have to mm, cooperate, right? Unless you force it into an ordered state. Uh, I have brain entrainment in the device, 
uh, if I mean, uh, there's some things I haven't released yet. So if you want it, it's there. To me, it's like like the easiest thing in the world to design, right? So the uh, the the principle is to the best of my ability uh, defensible in terms of neuro- neurology. Is defensible, of course. I you know I'm there's the artist part of me, you know that wants to the creative, uh, but uh, I try to stay you know in the uh, in the between the, the two fence posts uh, on the whole thing neurologically. Cool, cool. That's helpful. Uh, also, another thing I did this morning was uh, I guess maybe not long enough before I did my neurovisor session, mm-hmm. but for breakfast I had probably about. 10 micrograms of LSD, okay. which is like a good non-perceivable, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, nootropic kind of dose. Sure, I find sure, it sure, sure. once or twice a week. I actually did it yesterday. Normally uh-huh. I wouldn't do it two days in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do it twice a week, but spread out kind of. Um, for, for different you, you reasons. You went STEM and Silver Fadiman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I was like, I got two interviews today. I felt so good yesterday and oh. so focused and creative. You got I two mean, today? Yeah, one after you, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, are you seeing somebody else? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> cheating on me, man. But but anyway, um, dude, I have the whole day. <laughs> I I did have a great. Uh, I had a great neurovisor session. Yeah. It was maybe only an hour after, so I don't know if it had you know kicked yeah, yeah. in per se. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it seems to me that neurovisor could on its own for someone that's never interested in microdosing psychedelics yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Seems like it has a similar effect, and. Is that true? Um, and is there any risk or benefit involved with doing what I did this morning of, of stacking a microdose with yeah. the technology? Um, two answers, different but both true. Um, one is with what I assume you have access to, um, it's very similar to microdosing and highly compatible. However, uh, probably next year, I have, I have a, f- well, yeah, it's true. I have a, a full microdosing uh, app. Uh, the whole thing designed specifically on the neurology of, of microdosing. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, and it's built in, but, it's other, uh, you know, but it is also thematic, which is a huge thing. Plus, a giant reward is the fact that you have very rich reward experience when you're doing it unlike microdosing where yeah i have a lot of buddies you know uh, men and women that it's like micro micro mezzo because they're like <laughs> gonna be a little bit high yeah <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah uh so um again uh this is um in my opinion hard ass neurology that uh, it's defensible and uh you know, I, I, I write a bunch of things sometimes for Biohackers Magazine, right? And uh, I published an article called, uh, Is Microdosing a Unique Form of Brain Priming? And the conclusion is yes. And uh, here, here's the, the, the short story, because all the stories can be long. Uh, when it comes to neuroplasticity, there are four... <laughs> Use my hands a lot. I used to teach a lot. Right? Well, that's right. You you have your own dedicated camera, so the right. people that are at least watching this this <laughs> podcast will be able to see what you're doing. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, they're called the four activation phases of neuroplasticity, and it's quite well appreciated by this point that there's an initial stimulation, and that's and I'll give you some of the timelines on this. There's an initial stimulation, 
Then there's a modulation phase where uh, sensitive things kind of calm down and the doors start to open. And then there's a relaxation phase where the changes get to move around because the sensitivity is not blocking them. Then there's a differentiation phase where they kind of integrate into the system. This is a very predictable four-phase process with any neuroplastic technique. Right? There's stimulation, modulation, relaxation, differentiation. Okay. When you do the neurovisor or any other well-crafted neuroplastic technique, but I can say certainly if you do a neurovisor technique because it's based on that, it's hard to maybe accept, but the real effects begin when the light and sound end. Uh, again, an analogy. Eat food. You're hungry. Eat, enjoy, taste, you know, textures, color, the whole thing. Yeah. When you finish eating, you begin digesting. And the whole point, you may enjoy. It's, it is enjoyable. Otherwise, maybe we wouldn't eat. So, you know, neurodarwinian, again, it's for survival purposes, we're supposed to enjoy doing it. And we do, for the most part. The light and sound are the stimulation phase and then when that ends that's when the integration starts so like today when you finish doing the one or two for one to two hours you're in a state called hyperplastic you are super sensitized for information input and that's the stimulation the stimulation phase is about on the outside around about two hours that's in any methodology that you have that potential for information access that you would not normally have. Then, after that, there's a period where it will max and kick up about eight hours later. The modulation phase is from the two to eight hours, so that eight hour is there. So it comes up again, but at a lower amplitude. Like, oh. Then, the relaxation phase, eight 24 hours. Integration, not surprisingly, follows circadian cycle. It's like, well, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> and then the differentiation is that last 48, right? And then you pause and then you do it again. That is the three-day Fatiman microdosing schedule. Oh, interesting. That's the neurological basis for it. Do you it. think he knew that? I don't think so. I, I think he sussed it out. Ah, uh, interesting. Because this is quite re well. I mean, his stuff is not that old. So, well, let's say, like, I don't know. The, you know, the guy is is a brilliant, you know, investigator. But this makes sense. So, um, like, I'm more interested in the endpoint action than the agent. If you order something online, do you really care? whether the knock of the door is DHL or FedEx. Definitely not. You know, it's like you got your shit, right? Your stuff, your <laughs> object. <laughs> it's a habit, right? So I, I understand. Yeah, so, you know, uh, I'm, I've, of course, I'm intrigued by the agents, but I'm far more interested in the endpoint actions. Like the word psychedelic is normally used as a noun, an object. This is a psychedelic compound, but I like to use it as an adjective. 
a psychedelic effect. Like psychedelic art, you don't eat the art. That's not the point, right? So psychedelic can be used as an adjective. And this is entropic brain. If, I mean, if we don't get to it in this talk, I, had, I seriously say dive into Robin Carhart Harris in Imperial College, UK, because of, I mean, they've developed this for a number of years now. It's an incredibly elegant model of the brain that makes total sense with all that we're bumping into. It's just glorious, I think. So the, the, the brain is built for the psychedelic experience. Just because something is uncommon doesn't mean it's abnormal. That's important. Just because something is uncommon doesn't mean it's abnormal. And the psychedelic state can be achieved from many agents, from many avenues. Even what there is no single psychedelic state. And um, I had a real big, like, boing, wow, grok, aha moment uh, about a year ago, plotting out the neurology of these things. And I'm dead certain that the Joseph Campbell, right, that the hero's journey is specifically the neuroplastic phenomena. It, it describes exactly the brain neurology of habituation, the need for change, the decision to leave certainty and go into uncertainty, to leave the integration, to go into information, to have all these things, to have, you know, blah, 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 if you know the hero's journey, and then to return with the treasure. I think it's evident to me in my little world that the hero's journey is the proto-myth because it's an expression of the proto-neurology of proto-consciousness. Every neuroplastic experience to me is a micro hero's journey interesting absolutely interesting absolutely i like that you're eliminating the fact that there are so many different means by which somebody can explore these realms yeah because everyone has their their own preference i mean to me there's not anything in the realm of consciousness that I probably wouldn't try unless it's going to hurt someone else. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah, yeah. all of the different kind yeah. of windows into God's mansion are mm -hmm. interesting to me. You know, they yeah. all have their own unique sort of um, personality, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but there are going to be certain people that would be that would never want to put a light and sound device on their head because they're just not into technology. And there are other people that would love that and would never in a million years take even the micro of microdose of something like psilocybin yeah. or LSD, yeah. you know, or, yeah. or people don't have a temperament yeah. for meditation yeah. or yeah. breath work. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah, everyone kind of has their own unique yeah. preference, but we all, I think, inherently deserve to have access to this neuroplasticity and this uh -huh. expansion and enlightenment of consciousness, Yeah, at least for those that are interested. You well, know? Uh, it's um, adaptation and growth. And, uh, you know, the risk, uh, okay, here's, uh, another analogy. Um, you're laying in bed on your right side and it's real comfy and you like it. After a while, oddly, it's not comfortable anymore <laughs> and you want to get on your left side. You can't go directly from your right side to your left side. You have to go through this thing called turning over. And when you turn over, you move into the realm of, Impredict 
unpredictability. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to roll over. I know what's happening. But you roll over, then your foot gets stuck in the blanket, and you have to, like, untwist it. And then you're turning over, and then your pillow moves, and then your wife says something. And says, Stop waking me up. I'm just turning over. And you know, finally, you end up on your left side, and but then you wiggle, and it's like, ah. Right? So you can't go directly from old neurologically. You can't go directly from old order to new order. There's not, it's not a direct thing. You have to go through an abandonment of order. You have to go through, you know, chaos is not random. Chaos is just so complex, we don't know what the shit's going on. But it, 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 there is still determinism in there. You want to turn over. Not like the wind is blowing you there. So neurologically, <laughs> we, we have to be able to let go to some degree in order for change to happen. And that capacity is native to our neurology. Forget about the psychology right now because we really can't separate them, but that is the game. Growth, learning, adaptation, tripping. I don't care what you call it. That, you know, again, in that uh, there's a lot going on right now with brain modeling that is like just the juiciest stuff because it helps me at least and a lot of other people understand that. The, the, that old zone, the low zone, that's the realm of integration. And this upper zone, we'll call it the psychedelic zone, but I don't mean, you know, acid psychedelic, but why not? That's the zone of information. That's the hero's journey where you leave home and you go, well, classically, into the underworld. You go into the unknown and you have trials and tribulations and tests and experiences and allies, and then you realize a treasure, and then you absorb the treasure, and then you leave that world and come back into the ordinary world with a treasure that you can share. That is the hero's journey, and that's how our brain works. That's how our brain works. Wow. Yeah, it describes so many transcendent experiences. It should. You know, that's really, that's really the crux of it if you had to map it out in a little infographic that a five-year-old would understand. Right? Or any culture that, that lacked the kind of analysis that we do, but they know, they know this is predictable. This is the way it works. Right. This right. is the way it works. How does uh, first language and uh, neuro-reality work? <laughs> well, you know, the... Um, I, I've been following a path of exploration and some amount of discovery. And then, you, you know, you bump into things and, you know, we, we want to give it a name. I think even the unknown, when we, when we call it the unknown, we somehow feel a little better that the thing we don't know is the unknown now that we've named it. And actually, even in trauma uh, programs, giving a feeling a name reduces the amygdala sensitivity. So if you, if you have grief and you, you even give it a name, you know, like Georgie or grief, so we want to give things names. Me too. So I have, you know, this thinking, because I like to work with principles. Nature is efficient. You know, once a principle works, you can kind of expect you're going to find it some other place again. Because why? Because it works. And usually it's pretty simple. You know, it, there's this tendency where simple things done well work well. Why be complicated? So I thought, okay, here's, I'm imagining some kind of like, I don't know, Jurassic Park, whatever. But when things are all growing and evolving on earth, when it's happening, 
when things are growing, it's all the same air, it's all the same sunshine, it's the same water, it's the same stuff, right? So when things are growing, inevitably there's going to be proximity. And if there's proximity, then there's bound to be interactions. And if there are enough interactions, there must be interrelationships that result from the interactions. And if they're interrelationships, there must be shared information. And that shared information must result in some kind of communication between things. So, and communications require a language. So what's the first language? And I think, I don't know, I think that it's a combination of mechanical vibration and electromagnetic radiation. That those things, uh, mechanical vibration requires a medium, stuff, and electromagnetic radiation doesn't. It can cross through what we'll call a vacuum. So I think mechanically vibrating and electromagnetically radiating form the basis of the first language. Of course, mechanical vibration we call sound, and electromagnetic radiation we call light. So I think light and sound and all of their kind of you know, derivatives, they form the basis of a first language. I think second language, pardon me, I think second language is movement. I think third language is ideation and cognition. And I think that complex beings like you and me and others, I'm not so sure about this plant, but I'll give it the credit, that, um, that we don't throw away the first because we have the second, that we integrate. And that right now, first language is fully operational, as is second language, as is third language. So that's my definition of first language. Neuroreality, because there's like VR, you know, virtual, augmented, and everything. Uh, I don't know if this is actual reality. I'm not quite sure. But uh, I think, well, neuroreality, so I, it's a little bit of a play with, uh, with maybe words, but I think it's uh, neuroreality is when you turn you know, the senses inward. It's like the, turning virtual reality inside out. So I don't know. It's, I was trying to be a little bit clever. I'm not sure I was very clever, <laughs> but I call it neuroreality. It's, you know, when you meditate or when you trip or, or whatever it is, that there is a reality that you encounter that is not primarily fed from the external senses. Yeah, and, and non-local. You know? Yeah, yeah I know. like it. Okay, well then. I like it. I mean, okay, that, I like, that makes me happy. Somebody I like naming likes it. things too, especially yeah. because in the more etheric realm of, ideas uh, as we're discussing here in part it is difficult to describe them because there often uh, is a lacking of the um, terminology yeah you know for some of this we're, we're kind of making it up as we go and so yeah. somebody's got to come up with what you call this state or that state because <laughs> right. it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> exist right yeah, yeah. I, we have a things in the non-linear <laughs> realm uh, by their very nature are hard mm -hmm. to define and, and yeah. name so you gotta you gotta have something well one thing that you thought for the website I don't, maybe it didn't make it in or something but the neurovisor is uh uh now, uh, now legal in all states of mind. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's good. You guys got to use that. You got to use that. All right, y'all. We thrived right on through 2022, perhaps the weirdest year to date. And after the end of year work obligations and holiday family fun, it's easy to start the new year stressed, worn out, and lacking motivation which is definitely not the way we want to start the new year. So if you're feeling like you need a holiday from the holidays, I have a perfect solution. 
Do yourself a favor and start taking Magnesium Breakthrough every night before you go to bed. I do this daily and I don't plan on stopping ever. Why is that? Well, because stress depletes your magnesium levels and magnesium is critical for getting deep and restorative sleep. And the reason Magnesium Breakthrough is so effective is that it's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium all in each pill. And trust me, when you get all seven critical forms of magnesium, that's when the magic happens. Pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded from your sleep to your brain, from stress to pain, and even inflammation. And even better, by making Magnesium Breakthrough part of your daily routine, you're going to wake up fully rested, recharged, and ready to crush all of your New Year's resolutions. So for an exclusive offer for Lifestylist listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com Luke. And in addition to the 10% discount you'll get by using the promo code LUKE10, you will unlock a special gift with purchase for a limited time only. So again, go to magbreakthrough.com slash Luke and get your gift. Okay, let's, uh, let's talk about something that you've called, and maybe we've covered it again. Uh-huh. These, these are terms that I'm like taking from your content. I'm just sure. curious about sure, sure. Uh, lucid microdosing or neurodosing. I mean, yeah, is, yeah. Well, that's the other, we were talking about that. Okay. And that, uh, the, the thing is, and let me see if I can recall. Um, well, the research was in the fifties. I'm forgetting right now who is doing it. So I, I try to remember these things because yeah. then the, you, you, you know, I'm not lying, right? That, um, the, uh, some of the first experiences and, or experiments happened in the, in the fifties where, uh, they used photic stimulation, flashing lights, and what they then called subclinical doses of mescaline. And, uh, I mean, the, the research is there. Anybody can read it. If Sounds fun. Yeah. And, uh, yes, and it is. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I have been. So, the, and the reports were, you know, it's a little overstated because they didn't have a lot of comparatives. Uh, mescaline was real new at the time. You remember the 50s, you know, it was, the, you know, the whole story of the folks discovering peyote. But that um, the statements in the research was that if they did a subclinical dose of mescaline and did the photic stimulation, that the subject uh, had the visual experiences uh, similar or equal to a full dose of mescaline. And that goes back, that's 75 years ago. So, wow. Yeah. And so when I was uh, designing... Well, we don't, I don't know what to call it yet right now. We're, you know, lucid microdosing or neurodosing. This is a little bit of a, what do you call it? A spoiler, because we're coming out like next, uh, 23 with this. It's all done. Um, I would, because uh, I've, I've been developing this technology and the experiences over the past five years. I've done, I don't even know, thousands of hours of, of the light sound stimulations uh, because I make them, I create them. So, you know, the chef has to taste the food, right? <laughs> I have a lot. So I'm, well, not I'm pretty good. I'm very good at recognizing kind of the saturation colors and the geometrics and all of it when I uh, create a, a session or what you call a journey. Um, so I've done both with, uh, with psilocybin and mescaline, uh, micro, and uh, wait a couple of hours and then run a, a neurovisor session and the subjective, what I'll call uh, richness, enrichment. And actually, that's the term they use in entropic brain as you move up. They call it degrees of enrichment or richness. Um, 
30-40% more rich. Colors, geometrics, depth, perceptions, all of the interdimensionalities. So for me, again, in my little world, that shows me undoubtedly that a microdose, a subclinical, subperceptual dose is working in the brain dynamically because I will have evidence of that when I do the visor session that it lights up 30, 40% more than normal. And I'm very good at recognizing what I'll call normal or common, having done so much of it. So I think, well, shit, there you go. There you go. And then, you know, studying the neurology, brain priming techniques, there's, there's real strict methodology in designing a light sound session. So if you go in, I mean, you'll see the app, uh, undoubtedly, that um, you choose whatever theme you want because I can move it in a probability state which you don't have a normal microdosing. That's just pure intention. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so there's some advantage there. And then also you get a lot. But so then you choose, I put four. You choose the Fadiman Protocol, Stamets, Microdosing Institute, or one more, the, 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 the regular one. I forget the name. So you choose whatever one you want, and then you go into it, and then it sets up the session. Let's say you're working on creativity, whatever. So there's a dose day, a trans day, and a norm day session. And they're tracking in the app, and then you know which one you did, and you go back and you follow it. So the, the trick, the trick is, well, there are many tricks, actually. One of the tricks. Right? <laughs> Indeed there are. <laughs> one, of, one of the tricks is learning how to, and to what degree to destabilize the brain. Destabilization is really important. That's what a psychedelic will do. It destabilizes default mode network. And for God's sakes, another one, Alpha. Alpha brainwaves you're referring uh, to. Pardon yeah. me, alpha brainwaves, yeah. yes. And this, uh, for one thing, there's no single state. But the thing about a psychedelic, the alpha, I have to understand, the alpha brainwave is the control freak of the brain. It's the control freak. It allows you calm, clear focus, and it reduces distractions. That's really a good thing. But a psychedelic of any sort, I'm not saying a psychedelic compound, but a psychedelic agent, suppresses alpha the control freak is like kicked out the bad door which allows all the unique unusual network connections to take place because alpha the control freak ain't at the party oh that's interesting i didn't know that yeah that that's like right off the top so hmm. when you're doing the these kinds of methodologies you have a very sensitive design factor when you consider the alpha element because if you insert alpha, then what happens is the brain wants to lock down again. And But what you want is you want information access. And alpha says, no, dude, you got to pay attention to what I'm focusing on. So destabilize the default mode network. Reduce the sensitivity in the amygdala. Suppress alpha. And now you've got a formula. And to how much you destabilize and how much you do that ends up as being a dose day or a transition day or a norm day. So you play with the design characteristics to mimic what a psychedelic compound would do. Wow. So this that you're this program that you're describing, this yes. is going to be in the Neurovisor app or its own thing in 23. 
or do you don't know yet? Let's call it, it's going to happen for sure. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll figure it <laughs> Whether out. Whether it comes in a round box or a square okay, box, we'll okay. figure that out. Because, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that sounds really it's a real big deal i gotta tell you it's a real big deal that sounds like a massive breakthrough well actually that's it is in my head i can say that for sure uh for those for those listening i i realized i kind of you know just jumped into this stuff and started talking about this neurovisor and um never really i don't think described what it is for people (laughs) so uh for those that are watching yeah the video um you, you might can you do me a favor there brandon give me a zoom in I'm just going to do a little demo. I know some people are listening and they're like, we can't see you. This is boring. But uh, for those watching, so this is the app. And so I've just turned this headset device on. And it's powered, right? It's powered, yeah. Okay. It charged it up. And so it says, find my device. It already found it. And then I've got a menu of like different, I guess, state changes that I would like to yeah. explore. So calm, create, explore, focus, mood, peace. Like sleep. categories, right? Categories, right. Okay. And then... Um, so I like, to, for some reason, I often go into create. And then when I go into create, there's a menu of different sessions in there uh-huh. that you can choose. And they each have their own music and different sort of uh, soundscape and different patterns in the light. So I'm going to put one on just because I can, I think. Let me see here. So here's, people can hear the track a little bit. Yeah, there's br- full brain signaling in in the soundscape as well. Okay. We'll talk more about that. So I don't think I can, I'm going to lose my mic if I put this on. But don't, Just don't lose your mind. Or maybe you can a little bit. <laughs> Essentially for those watching. Eyes closed. Yeah, eyes closed. What you're seeing is just some white flashing lights in front of my face with this little visor that hangs over the eyes. What I'm seeing is, I mean, it changes. It's very dynamic. But right at the moment, it looks like a bunch of red lights that are flashing sort of like um scallop shapes like a cascade of of scallop shapes and now there's like gold and purple coming in and i could go on and on and on but what i find so fascinating about this um and just the brain in general and how it interpretates interprets data yeah uh is that the brain sees just kaleidoscopes and fractals and geometric patterns and especially it's very colorful Yes. Yet the actual lights, if you look at them like we just did, thank you, Brandon, for the handy, fancy um, camera work there. You're our Tarantino. Um, (laughs) Now we got to flip it back to the beginning of the story. Um, (laughs) But I find that so interesting. I have another. Do you know about the Lucia light? Yes, I do. So I have a Lucia light over there. And yesterday, um, someone came over. And we were were doing some EMF testing. And we were looking at the fields around all the electronics. Sure. And I put the guy under there. He lays under there. And immediately he goes, oh, my God, there's all these rainbow colors and stuff. That's yeah. so cool that you have all these colored lights, right? Uh, yeah, and yeah, me yeah. and the other guy are standing there like, no, yeah. it's all white light. Yeah. There's like a warm, warmer yeah. tone halogen light in the middle <laughs> yeah, and yeah, really bright white LEDs around the right. edges. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just thought, God, and the same with the neurovisor. It's yeah. just so yeah. cool what the brain will do yeah. if you give it a little bit of stimulation okay uh, let's jump on an important point right there okay. and i'm totally in lucia is a beautiful device the um uh, the way it's designed you know the sound is usually called music it's not music uh music per se is too attractive to the brain the brain will always follow a predictable pattern 
it will ju- it's like cat and catnip. Right. That's it's, why we get a catchy song in our head. There you even go. Even though we don't like it. And it's there, <laughs> right. right? So the I do my best when I'm doing this style. It's like a four-piece rock band. I, I do the sound crafting first, and that's like the drummer and the bass player. They hold the shit together. Then I work with the light. I don't try to make the light do what the sound does. That's death in me. Boredom. So predictable. It's a yawner. So to me, the soundscape, I craft like drummer and bass player. The light is like lead guitar and vocalist. And if you're the producing and you're listening to separate tracks, the singer is definitely not trying to do what the drummer is doing. Nor is the lead guitar trying to do with the bass, but they integrate. They integrate. So two things, well, three things. I believe at first language level that what you want is an integration process. It has a higher level of meaning. It's an exponential meaning because the sound is doing something and the light, and, but together, famously from systems theory, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Now, if you... And there are plenty of devices around where, I mean, there's like 25-year-old screensavers that do this, that when the sound goes bleep, the light goes flash. So they mirror each other. The brain is like, I get it. Like what you see at a concert. For example. I just went and saw Roger Waters, a beautiful light show, video show, beautiful music. Everything's perfectly synced, you know? So, okay. So the brain says, okay, I got it. Okay, that's... Interesting at first, kind of, but after a while, it's like, well, is that it? So to me, that's a low order manipulation when you do mirroring. Then you've got suggestions and different devices where they say, well, just flash the light and play any music that you want. Really? Go to a cineplex. You're sitting watching a movie and you're hearing the soundtrack of the movie next door. Dude, what do you think? This is like scramble. It's like spaghetti on a wall. That's funny. Right? But, well, to, uh, let, me, let me dig into that for a second. Please. Um, to see if I'm... Because this is, this, is, this is where advancement okay. is going okay. and where things have been. So, for example, yeah. uh, and this kind of... Actually, I want to mention this earlier, going yeah. back to uh, binaural beats and, and their limitations and brain entrainment and things like that. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you're familiar with NuCalm. It's a neuroacoustic nope. software. I'll send you a podcast I did with cool. their CEO. Thank you. I don't know. Um, it's a neuroacoustic software that you listen to that um, in a similar way to the tracks on your audio tracks yes. is not really music per se. It's, it's called mood. Technically, it's called mood framing. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's totally randomized and it reliably encourages you into a really deep sort of theta mm-hmm. state. It's just really good for uh, recovery, right? Like mm-hmm. a kind of a, an automated guaranteed deep meditation is how I think of it. So I, cool. I love it. It's 20 or 30 minutes. Sure. Anytime I'm really fatigued or I just want to rest or I really want to make sure that I actually have a, a solid meditation, I use Nucom. Now I'll combine that with that light. Yes. And even though they have nothing to do with one another, yeah. it has a really great, to me, compound effect mm-hmm. where I'm able to disassociate from mm-hmm. the body and kind of lose self default mode network, mm-hmm. goes mm-hmm. to sleep. And then I get, you know, this enrichment from the light experience. So it's sure. almost, I think maybe, and they would probably be pissed if I minimize their technology to entrainment because I don't think that's quite what it is. It's a bit more yeah, dynamic. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's a bit more dynamic. Yeah. But point being, 
I feel like I'm kind of mixing two worlds there just yes. based on intuition and getting positive results. Uh-huh. But what you described with being in one theater, seeing one visual, hearing the audio from next door, there's a discordant yeah. potential there. Yeah. And I've not found that even listening to like a great, I don't know, mantra or shamanic track sure. while I'm under that light. Sure, sure, I, sure. I seem to derive yeah. benefit and I don't seem to get any sort of chaos happening. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, um, it is an understandable process. There's some, um, the brain will select. You don't realize, but the brain is definitely selecting. The, the brain always goes for predictability, for survival. It's, it's an inescapable thing. Unless you force it into destabilization, right? <laughs> right, yeah. right? It's just like, here we go. I mean, yeah. you, you do a you know, heavy dose and it's like, strap on, here we go. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think that um, it is reliable but low in efficiency. I think, that, to be honest, in my best shot, because I don't know that particular technology, yeah. but, but I understand this in principle. Uh, I've done this a lot in my life in different ways. Mm -hmm. So I think that it points towards a positive outcome. Uh, however, I think it, in likelihood, lacks efficiency in outcome. I think, I think that. Uh, that the... The, the crafting that I explained, you know, the, the methodology of sensory mm -hmm. enrichment and, and these things, you know, they are, um, they're quite reliable and the outcomes are, with repeatedness, with reinforcement, they're, they're quite impressive, depending on the brain state you're starting with. Sure. So I think uh, it works. I think that the brain is probably moving in and out of degrees of destabilization. Um, and it's kind of randomized depending on which signal is attractive or dominant. Because if they're not integrated, it's like if you watch a, a badly dubbed movie. Like, yeah. You know, it's like it's yeah. close, but you notice it. Sure. It doesn't ring true. Yeah. So I think it's, it's real, it's effective, but it has a lower efficiency and sustained outcome. Because, okay. because what we want is state, which is short term with reinforcement to translate over into trait, which is long-term. So it's not difficult to create short-term states, attractive ones or unattractive ones. How well they are integrated into the neurology, because there, there are four predictable stages of neuroplastic change, and I can describe them, I, that the integration capacity into a long-term trait Listen, help right now is fantastic. You know, you're having a hard time and you want to feel better for a while. Fantastic. Longer term, the idea is to craft these states into a building block towards sustained traits. So there are new habits. Let's call them just new habits or mm -hmm. new patterns. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that that process generates state, but not may not if because it's like well, what's happening what's the trait what is it that my brain wants to know how to do um so but that's just me theorizing yeah yeah it's attractive there's nothing wrong with having a pleasant positive experience it's yeah. just what you expect from that it's like you you have a date with with like you know she was great but you don't really see it going long term there's nothing wrong with having a good time <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. right okay fair enough yeah, yeah. so 
but safe to say, I guess, based on the fact that I'm not seeing any side effects or pathology result in me mixing these different no. mediums and modalities. No, no, no. no. Um, but no. what we're talking about in terms of what the work that you're that appeals to you that you're doing is yeah. really marrying the sound and the light together in a cohesive way yeah. because the desired outcome is something different. It's this brain enrichment. It's the neuroplasticity. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's yeah. the, it's the, um, the trait change where over a period of time, we're actually experiencing yeah. our reality. That's fair. In a, in an uplifted manner. I would say that's a fair. Whereas assessment. if I use a new common, you know, again, it might have benefits I'm unaware, of, but to me, yeah. it's a, just a beautiful recovery tool. In 20 minutes, I can get the equivalent of three or four hours sleep is what it feels like. Jump on it. Which is beautiful. awesome. But I don't know that it's necessarily, I'm not in some sort of psychedelic transcendent state either. I'm really yeah. just getting a deep rest and recovery. Yeah. Well, you know, we probably won't uh, this time get into entropic brain but the more a person looks at either entropic brain or with Carhartt getting together with Friston, which is like, you know, two gods coming together in my mind, they came up with a model called the anarchic brain. Anarchy, literally anarchy, means without a leader. Huh. Right? And, and entropic means it goes into an entropic state of uncertainty. So they both have very unusual names. The anarchic brain will leave a base of order and go into disorder. It won't have a leader. And it, it seeks out information with open parameters. And then we'll try to select, and then hero's journey again, find something hopefully of importance that will assist it when it comes back and then integrates it into a higher order. It's that process. And <clears throat> uh, you can tease at that process, but not really enter into the information zone. Uh, there's potential, there's promise, but it's, it's like the, I, again, I think it's the efficiency outcome. You know, like uh, physical exercise, the, the advancement in the technology, I, I had the chance in the past to work with a lot of athletes, gold medalists and so on. And, the understanding of how to get the most out of somebody's exercise is of strong. I mean, it's, it really is a scientific principle at this point, at that higher level. And even at the common level, you know, we understand. So my interest is in efficiency and maximizing. Because, you know, in the past when I was more into practice, I would sometimes or even oftentimes get asked a question, what's the best kind of exercise? I say, listen, you got to do some exercise, get off your ass. Okay, well, what's the best kind of exercise? I said, well, that's easy. I said, it's not easy at all. They're all like, there's this, there's that. I said, it's easy. He said, bullshit. Just tell me. I said, the best kind of exercise is the one you're going to do. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that's true for me. Right? Well, true yeah. for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, I, some people seem to really enjoy working out. I mean, I have many friends like yeah. that. They just love it. Oh, I can't wait to go to the yeah. gym. For me, it's, I mean, there are a few things I enjoy less than that <laughs> <laughs> there you go that's why the secret sauce dude <laughs> yeah yeah the enjoyment part yeah. so uh, you know it's it's to me it's it's like that that it doesn't much matter you know that what you're going to do is the one that is going to give you the most benefit all the rest right. is just theory okay. and you know what it's like though i mean i don't know about you you probably because of your gig probably but there's a lot of stuff in closets gathering dust yeah 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 for sure you know it's, there's this honeymoon effect 
yeah. where like yeah and then the honeymoon is over and it's like eh. yeah One of the most powerful tools I've used over the past 25 years of self-healing is the practice of rituals and habits. If I can train myself to repeat something that's really effective, eventually it becomes automatic. So naturally, I'm always interested in using my ritual time wisely by stacking as many positive benefits as possible into the shortest window of time. This is why I love Higher Dose. First, they dropped their Epic infrared sauna blanket, then the PEMF infrared mat, and other cool gear like a red light mask. Well, they just pulled off another genius move by launching three new products that are specifically designed to complement their tech gear. First, you got the detox drops. This potent blend of hyperclean ingredients binds to toxins, carrying them out of your body as you get hot and sweat. I like to add this stuff to my water before a workout or sauna session. Then after you've worked up sweat, it's super important to refuel, and that's where their hydration powder comes in. This electrolyte-rich formula supercharges your water with magnesium and a potent blend of B vitamins to replace all the hydration you lost in the sauna. And then last but certainly not least is higher doses chill chews that are magnesium gummies that balance the mind and relax the body. So you can use these to keep yourself calm during the day or even sleep better at night. So Higher Dose nailed it again, folks, by providing all the components needed for detox, healing, and recovery. Get yourself loaded up at higherdose.com today and use my exclusive promo code LUKE15 at checkout to save 15%. That's higherdose.com, D-O-S-E. And again, the code is LUKE15. I mean, I think, you know... I was observing this the other day because I've gone through many different practices of meditation. And and I recently came back and resumed the Vedic meditation, kind of the mantra-based. Yes. And Alice and I went and got sort of refreshed on that and started doing it. Um, And as I started to do it over the past couple weeks, I thought, why did I ever stop? And it's like, there's not that there's anything wrong with it. I just needed novelty. So then I started listening to the the Joe Dispenza guided meditations that in many cases were much longer and took me to these different yeah. kind of realms and yeah. things like that yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like the novelty what i needed at any given time mm-hmm. changed there was a period where i yeah. just needed quiet and stillness for 20 minutes twice a day yes and then that was not interesting to me right and i went on to other things like the neurovisor yeah, yeah. something with some more bells and whistles you know something yeah, that was more yeah, more yeah. engaging and dynamic Here uh, we are do, doing the dance yeah right? but yeah. I, you know i think a lot of it it is it's just it's in our nature um to allow ourselves to be malleable and and follow um, what my meditation teacher Jeff Kober calls the charm. Okay. You know, it's like that subtle, that mm-hmm. subtle intuitive hit where you're just being drawn into a new modality or practice or mm-hmm. or way of seeing things. You know. Well, let's call it adaptation to change. Yeah, right? yeah. But I do, uh, you know, to your point, definitely have a, a closet full of <laughs> old, you know, tools yeah. and toys that yeah. serve their purpose for a time, or I found something newer or yeah. better, and yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, they kind of fall by the wayside, and uh-huh. you know, end up collecting dust somewhere. Uh-huh. I don't perceive the neurovisor to being in that category, though. Again, it's new to me, so I'm I'm really into yeah. it. I'm using it yeah. pretty yeah. much, I think, every day actually. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So Especially because it's only 11 minutes. Well, that's part of the thing. Is I can that, take a break in the middle of my day without like, yeah. oh, I'm going to go meditate or like taking a, making a big production out of it. Well, it's one of the reasons why I was so attracted to the basic neurology that I wanted a good solid hit for an effect. You know, I, I very much believe in trying to 
achieve the most while doing the least. Yeah, <laughs> you and me both, brother. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah. Something else to the point of this that I don't know if I mentioned when I did my little on-camera demo is that yeah. you use your own headphones. Yeah. Um, so it's just the light device that goes on your head. You use your yeah. own headphones and you yeah. listen to that track. And I wanted to give you a kudos for something you did really well. Tell me. Uh, as someone who is uh, an EMF awareness advocate, to say yeah. the least, yeah, meaning yeah, like yeah. total tinfoil hatter. Yeah. Um, I get so annoyed when somebody comes out with a really meaningful and useful technology mm -hmm. that exposes you to undue levels of EMF or blue light or whatever the thing they're doing sure. wrong. And when I first got this, I thought that, you know, because you activate it with Bluetooth, I thought the whole time you were wearing it, that yeah. your brain is getting bathed in Bluetooth. And I don't like that at all, but I really liked using it. Yeah. So I thought, well, cost to benefit ratio, I'm sure I'm benefiting more from this experience than I am mm. taking a hit for 11 minutes of Bluetooth on my head. Mm -hmm. uh, but then when I asked you about it, you're like, no, the Bluetooth just pings, it turns, and then it turns off. Yeah. Because I was going to ask you, man, you guys got to put airplane mode on this. Uh, you know, like yeah. the Aura Ring, the Happy, yeah. the Apollo, really great device I use. All these great tools. They know they're going to market to biohackers and they yeah. want it to be safe and yeah. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. that. So I was really happy to hear that you guys had the, the foresight to yeah, eliminate you. the EMF issue. So it's just all benefit. Yeah, I'm. Uh, we were chit-chatting a little bit. I'm in this. I'm a wire guy. I'm I'm way old school. That I I like wires. You know, like I. <laughs> Here's a wire, and I'm happy that there's a wire. Why not? Yeah. So I'm okay with that. And uh, so up front, you need Wi-Fi, you need Bluetooth. But if you don't like Wi-Fi, you open the device. You got the app. You can go to you know the App Store, and the, the app is free. You can download the app on your phone, and you can listen to all. You can use all the soundscapes for, for all the. It's oh, all that's there. right. Huh? It's free. Yeah, it's I free. forgot. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's free. <laughs> you know, how does it cost? Nothing. Yeah. Right. And if you want to have the full integrated experience, then you buy the headset. That's cool. Got it. So with Wi-Fi and you have a phone, because now the app is on your phone. If you don't want to use Wi-Fi, you want to go camping or you're in a shit zone and or something, you can download all the sessions into your phone. Then you don't need Wi-Fi anymore. Then you've got the headset, and you want to connect to the headset, so the Bluetooth thing. But you select, and it's a flash Bluetooth. It's like, I don't even know how many milliseconds. It's done. It, it, now it's, there's no more Bluetooth at all. And, and you say go, and you get the sound from your phone, and you're, you're happy to ride. That's amazing. Yeah. Thanks for doing that right. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, some people sometimes send me different products and stuff, and I'm like, it's cool, but I just, they want me to promote it or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah, or be yeah. on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was one, and I'm not going to shit on them, but it was some kind of HRV monitor that went around mm -hmm. your chest. And Got it was it. really compelling because it gave you real time uh -huh. uh, data about your HRV and different biometrics mm -hmm. and such. Um, but because it's in real time, it needs Bluetooth to communicate to the app, right? So you're putting like a Bluetooth sensor directly <laughs> on your heart. <laughs> and I'm just like, guys, like, you know, with all due respect, I just, it yeah. might not be that bad, but just, it, fundamentally it might be goes against yeah, like you know yeah, i mean yeah, this yeah, yeah. the electro you know nature yeah. of the human body and such yeah, so yeah. anyway i hear you um i'm I, i'm glad we got to cover that because i know anyone listening that's yeah savvy to emfs can be like yeah but what about the bluetooth so yeah. and um to your point of using wi-fi to actually download the tracks we don't even have wi-fi in this house oh and i just use my cell signal to download the tracks well, when okay. i use it cool 
cool. So you don't even need no, but you, actually. But, but are they permanently in your phone now? No. That's if you go to. So, okay, so I got go to go on Wi Fi if I want to download them and save yeah, them. Yeah, you, okay. you, you, the little buttony thing in the top, you touch and it says offline mode. Got it. And if you click offline mode, it goes check. Then it opens up and you have an option download all. Done. Okay. And you press it and you, you see. Perfect. And then that's it. You, you, you While, own them. Okay, good. While we're at it, yeah. there was something I wanted to ask you too. And I'm sure others who explore this thing will have the same question. Sure. There's a, a menu on the bottom yeah. underneath the play button that has breathing. Um, breathing. Yeah. What what is that? Because I've pressed it and then I I'm like, am I missing something? Yes, you're missing Wi-Fi. <laughs> okay, that's what I can. All right, because so I'm kind of waiting for something to happen. I'm like, is there supposed to be a guided breathwork thing on here? It's, like, it's real subtle. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, because uh, you have choices. Oh, okay. The only way we can enable that right now uh-huh. uh, is that you, through Wi-Fi you're connected to the server. Got it. Right. I put the. I said earlier trying to give it credibility that the real effect neurologically begins when the light sound ends. Sure. And like the saying goes, don't eat and run. Uh, I try to encourage when it ends, I say, just feel your body, you know, and I, you know, all the, and I thought, ah, screw it. I just got to put in some traditional, well-founded breathing applications. So Assuming you're on Wi-Fi because it has to get from the server. You choose one. I have the typical HRV. And I've got some of the anxiety, the balance or box breathing, mm-hmm. real classic stuff. Yeah. And and you at the when the thing light and sound stops, automatically you're a gong. Cool. Yeah. Right. And but a bing 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 bing. You know, so you you follow the tones and the breathing. Okay. And uh, I actually are, heard those tones this morning after my second session. I left it on and I heard uh, what you just described. Okay, yeah. well, somehow you got into the server. Okay, okay. Yeah, somehow. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, the one is they're really helpful. The other yeah. is if you really want to max out the effect of the light sound experience, you give it some digestion time, some integration time. And the breathing not only gives you the time, like you sit your ass down and do it, but also, of course, the, the breathing is well known to help autonomically to integrate neurological stimulation. Cool, cool. So I like that. It's, it's good. I'm all about the integration. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I find really cool about this is its portability. Yeah. You know, like I mentioned with Lucia Light, I love that. It's yeah. great. Um, but it's, I mean, you could take it all apart and put it in a little briefcase, <laughs> but I never do it. I don't no. bring it on airplanes. Yeah. The last trip I took uh, to Colorado, actually, uh-huh. I put this in a little case. Yeah one second to fold it zip it up throw it in my suitcase super yeah. light yeah 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 it's badass for portability okay i'm gonna which I, a I, lot I, of this stuff is not and a lot yeah. of it's way more expensive i mean i think your thing's what around 1495 yeah. something like that yeah yeah that lucia light's like eighty five hundred dollars the big it. one's twenty five thousand or something you know? right right my new car like, almost, yeah it's yeah. like who can afford that you know yeah, um, yeah. well okay uh spoiler alert um we're working hard right now uh, that, um, well, I mean, yeah, you can show fat boy the, yeah, uh, yeah then I'm going to tell you something right. you don't know about right. fat boy, uh, fat boy is a nickname because, uh, you'll see why he's a little bit thicker. So, you know, we make up stupid names, right? Yeah. So, so he, for those listening, he brought the new, so you see the new iteration. So you see like that, the device. Like, 
So, you know, you keep on learning. I, I mentioned to Luke in the beginning, we really tried the eco-ethic. We, we, we 3D print, we do local, we hire local in Thailand. And, you know, we started off with biodegradable material and it kept on breaking. But anyway, let's, so here's, okay. here's Fat Boy. And what the hell? It's my company, so I can do what I want, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, what we're working on right now, we've been working with Harmon Human on designs, you know, great design firm. Let's call this the the light. I, this is like to my to my partners. Trust me, it's okay. <laughs> that, uh, let's call this the light box. We're working right now on a simple magnetic coupling. So you go right now. Uh -huh. You've got a light box. So any design that you want, you just couple it on. Or let's say that you have a stationary thing like over your bed or a treatment table or something. You just take it and magnetically couple it. Oh, to that cool and it works no matter right what. so a practitioner could put it over someone's eyes while they're doing whatever so nothing things. touches their head yeah yeah then un but it still works the same it's, it works right. exactly the same right and you can just uncouple and couple it that's any cool way idea. you want yeah so i i um i like the I, I don't know if I've ever seen anything or knowingly seen anything that's 3D printed, but yeah. I like the feel of this. Oh, yeah. Like, it looks all, like, laser cut, you well, know? Well, you know, I can't tell cool. you. It's cool. I, I think so, it's so <laughs> We screwed up so many times. If you had seen where we started to where we are right now, it's like, How many iterations before the Fat Boy? Oh, I don't know. 15. I, I don't even remember. A lot. A lot. Uh, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about the, I want to call them music tracks, but as you said, it's not really music so in the traditional sense. Soundscapes. Soundscapes. Yeah. Uh, how, how are you actually, like, who's making them? You have, I don't know, a couple dozen or something on there in the app, yeah. I think. I mean, yeah, is yeah. that you in a, in a music editing software thing with the didgeridoo <laughs> and some rattles? You know, <laughs> I, like? I wish. No, you know, there are libraries of these loops. Okay. Uh, and I've, uh, you know, I have a lot of them. You can buy them. And uh, most of them are crap. Uh, you know, I, it's like some kind of evil space lord attacking antelopes. I don't know what they're trying to do. But right. if you spend time, uh, and so what, I mean, the, the process is, is, is pretty simple. And, okay, like, like right now, if we're going to, hey, let's, let's make one. What do you want to make? You know, it's like if we were musicians or playwrights, you know, <clears throat> what do you want to make some? I mean, make one up. What would you like to do? What would be the theme of a new session? What would you like to make? You asking me? Yeah. Uh, I would say um, it would be around the element of water. Water. Okay. That that's not difficult. And what's the state that? You oh, would... the state. Okay. Yeah. Um. 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 Hyper creativity. Hyper creativity. Okay. Yeah. So. The first thing you do, well, you have to backlog of knowledge about brainwave states. Let's assume you have that, right? I have that, right? And then you say, okay, the very first thing I want to do is I want to create uh, a mood frame, an emotional tone that, that would complement hyper-creativity. What would that sound like? What would hyper, a hyper-creative sound like so you go through and you search around and you say oh that's close but not really is oh fuck oh, pardon me i got it yeah <laughs> right they say yeah is it yeah that's good that's real good and then you have like two or three others then you go and you say okay that one that's where you start because 
this stuff has to have an emotive quality because we're, you know, we're not thinking creatures that feel. We're feeling creatures that think. And that's really important in terms of communicating. Can you say that again? Yeah. We are not, I'll try. We are not thinking creatures that feel. We are feeling creatures that think. That's the whole thing of bottom up as opposed to top down. Uh, Most neuroplastic techniques come top down. They are more conceptual. The bottom up, which is where I play, is more perceptual, more perception than cognition. So that's first language, that place. Got it. That's that's really interesting. And that, that brings to mind uh, principles of manifestation or laws of attraction, wherein just thinking about it, that would be top down, right? Yes. Intellectualizing all the ways yeah, it could yeah, work, won't yeah, work, should yeah. work, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, rumination. It does nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe if there's a little intention behind it, yeah. you might get somewhere, but where the where the magic is or the secret sauce, as yep. you would call it on yep. item four earlier. <laughs> and five. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, five and the other one. Yeah. Um, is the feeling that okay. what that thing that we desire yeah. would yeah. invoke, right? Yeah. And, and invigorating ourselves with the feeling yeah. almost prior to the cognition of how to do it, when, where, yeah. how, who, all that. Yeah. The, this bottom up is what entropic brain and all they talk about that as being primary consciousness primary primary consciousness this is aldous huckley and only berson all these guys you know where the brain is a is a reducing valve organism that it begins that the the proto the early consciousness was uh like uncertain and wild with all sorts of sensory perceptual load and it's like, wow, it's, it, it's kind of a tripping world. And then bit by bit, a secondary element comes in that starts to control and suppress that to make it more practical. Mm-hmm. So in entropic mm-hmm. brain, there's primary consciousness, secondary consciousness, and there's this zone in between called criticality. So this, this up and down, and you can get into primary consciousness super fast bottom up perceptual instead of top down conceptual like guided imagery where somebody's talking and you're walking along and they're saying all kinds of nice things and good that's a cognitive top down process and and i'll have a bunch of that too why not however the (laughs) potency of a bottom up perceptual not conceptual perceptual where like you know it doesn't have a meaning. It is its own meaning. You understand? Like top yeah, down has yeah. a meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, what do you mean by that? Like, what is the meaning of blue? Like, if I show you blue, and you say, well, what does that mean? It's blueness. Just experience it. Like Stanislav Grof, right? The only way to have an experience is to experience the experience. What you're describing also brings to mind perhaps why religious conversion experiences or transcendent experiences can be so profoundly life-changing mm-hmm. without necessarily much cognition involved at all, right? It's, 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 up, a, it's a being state of experience that can turn an ardent atheist into yeah. a religious scholar. Well, yeah, I call this stuff knowing without thinking. 
Right. Okay. That's it's good. Knowing without is like I got it. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't explain it. That's. I had an experience a couple of years ago yeah. with uh, the that? the Bufo toad, the five meo oh, DMT. Okay. That'll experience. And I've been you. studying, you know, loosely non-duality and Eastern mysticism, and it's oh. benefited my life a lot from just trying to create kind of a meaning and a framework where everything makes sense. You know, that there's this that would be nice omniscient force of creation that we call God and it manifests itself in all spectrums of known reality so that it can experience itself, right? I mean, there's this kind of fundamental things that are understood from a certain worldview. And I can intellectually understand that, but I had an experience specifically where I experienced that, right? And that was infinitely more life-changing and potent than me reading a thousand books that explained it intellectually, no matter how thorough and eloquent they might have been. Yeah. Right. It's like seeing, feeling, being, experiencing why creation exerts the effort to experience itself in infinite ways, <laughs> including all the ways that we would perceive yep. on one spectrum of duality to be bad, evil, wrong, dark, yeah. abhorrent. Right. It's yeah. like, no, it all has to be here in order for this thing to work. Right. And so having the, the richness of that experience yeah. of feeling that in my bones mm-hmm. changed, changed the trajectory yeah. of my life yeah. forever. Yeah. Well, that's the beauty to me of direct bottom-up sensory. It's just like, boom, and there it is. Then you and there's just, no way of unknowing it. No, it's like it happened. Or unbelieving it. Well, because you couldn't believe it into existence <laughs> right. anyway. You can't believe it out of existence. Right, right. It's, it's kind of like there's this great reality that exists, mm-hmm. and it's going to exist whether or not we um, have... Uh, um, access to it or not. And once we get access, it's not like something has to be gained. It's just you're acknowledging something that was already in existence. Well, I think that this is the thing that our brain, not even our, whatever the mind is, or soul or spirit or whatever, our actual organ, the brain, is built to be able to let go and access this for periods of time. Mm. It's built for it. Again, I'll repeat something from the beginning. Because a state is uncommon does not make it abnormal. But we're in such a rationalist, materialistic, scientific philosophy that there is an innate resistance or fear in the irrational. (laughs) It's got to be rational. Mm -hmm. Well, welcome to the hero's journey, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Because the the thing, ordinary experience then you feel more, it's like, I got to change, and then you resist it. I mean, just, this is classic hero's journey. You can read Campbell, all of it. And then say, ordinary, got to change, I don't want to change. Then some influence, a mentor or something, kicks you over the line, and you go into the underworld. You go into the entropic brain, into the, that primary consciousness. And then you experience challenges and trials and allies and enemies and discoveries and something important. And then you value it and then you take it into yourself. Then you come back home again with what you had. Now you got it. And now you give it to others. Hero's journey. Mm -hmm. Dead on. Mm -hmm. Wow. Dead on. I want to let people know that are listening that are like, I want to check out this Neurovisor thing. Uh, you can get 100 bucks off this yep. bad boy. And I highly recommend it, you know, for those that can afford it. Sure. Even with 100 bucks off, you know, it's, it's considerable investment for some people. I think yes. personally worth it. Uh, you can go to Neurovisor.com. That's uh. N-E-U-R-O-V-I-Z-R. Neurovisor.com. 
And your code there that you guys so generously offered, and thank you for that, is Luke 100. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to make sure to get that in during the conversation. Sure. So I listen to podcasts. I'm like, yeah, yeah, where's that thing? I want the thing. <laughs> so there you go for those interested. Um, we should have started off with that. <laughs> yeah, right? Big sales pitch. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, big sale, today only. Um, yeah. I was wondering, yeah. w- when you talked about uh, the... the um, future version of this yeah. where you're going to have the magnetic piece well, and you can take uh, it off? That's our intent. We're working on it now. Down the there's, road. There's always weird, dumb stuff. Well, that what happens. that... Yes. I mean, personally, I don't think you need to do it. It'd be cool yeah. for some people, but it works just fine the way it is. Okay. But what I was wondering is, have you been able to do any... Um, um, research, you know, in terms of the brain waves and the different states and stuff. And the reason I thought of the magnet thing, and I thought, oh, I don't know if they could do a QEG yeah. with this thing on your head because of yeah. all the wires and, yeah. you know, sensors and Same all that. Same. Have you guys done any... Beginning. You're starting to do that? Okay, uh, two... two um, here's Cookie the dog. Yeah, uh, I she comes up. That's good. The um, Two things. Um, we are in the midst right now of, well, a couple of specific studies using the device and planning a few. However, I have to say that essentially everything, let's be conservative and say 90% of everything that is there is based on solid pre-existing research. So I'm not like blowing this stuff out of different orifices. (laughs) Let's try this for a while. That's why I'm able to describe enrichment and priming processes and neuroplasticity and, you know, the, the periods of time, because the research is there. If if anybody's motivated and you can get through the language and some of it, um, I mean, for me, it's it's like a page-turner fascination. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, it exists. And some of it is only like brand new, hot off the press. You know, some research on the network harmonics of the brain networks. When I saw that, it was like, oh, are you kidding me? Here it is. And so I program sessions to reinforce the limbic network and the executive control and default mode network. And it's like, well, I mean, is like a candy store. Here's all of the information. Well, okay, let me use it, program it. Awesome. Yeah. And with the, with the element of light, uh, I've heard this type of uh, light therapy, I guess, for lack of a better term, be called hypnagogic light. Yeah. Would what you're doing be classified as yeah. that to okay. you? Uh, uh, sort of. Hypnagogic. Hypnagogic. I, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and hypnopompic. Like logic. Yeah. Gogic. Okay. Gotish. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay. I have tradition uh, training in, you know, Tibetan Vajrayana Buddhism and so on and so on. And they call this the fourth state. Break it down. You have two basic states. You're awake or you're asleep. In the sleep state, you have this thing called sleeping dreams. In the waking, you have this thing called waking dreams. That's the fourth state. We basically have forgotten about this fourth state. It it is fundamentally required for an organism to experience this state every circadian cycle. It's, an, it's a, a psychic nutrient. And it naturally occurs in the transition from waking to sleep, that's the hypnagogic, and from sleeping to wake, that's the hypnopompic. But that's not restricted there. That, is, that just happens. Even though most of us have no idea, we don't pay attention to it, 
many, many people have been aware of its creative potential. It's crazy. I mean, there are a lot of famous ones like uh, Edison. He used to hold ball bearings in his hand and zone or whatever you want to call it. And then when they would fall, he would. So he was trying to teach himself to be in that state. And Dolly used to use keys and on and on, you know, that. So this thing called hypnagogic or hypnopompic, let's just say hypnagogic, when you go from wake to sleep, is evidence of a normative aspect of the brain. And that you can learn how to do that during any part of your waking state. The trick is, why it's in that transition time, the trick is the access point is deep conscious relaxation. Most of us don't have that ability. When we begin to relax more deeply, we lose consciousness. So this is something, the big thief in my mind, uh, modern electricity is the big thief. Because throughout millennia, many of our human existence, we've spent great amounts of time awake in the dark. Oh, interesting. We don't spend time awake in the dark. That's interesting because I always think of uh, peoples of antiquity as having a fire. Maybe they're staying up till 9 p.m. Then everyone goes to sleep and wakes up with the sun. Like I picture them... Like humans just following the the sun cycle, the solar cycle, essentially, right? But even before the, like, I'm going to sleep now, there are periods of extended darkness. And, you know, uh, like, the you've heard of the Prisoner's Cinema? No. No, Prisoner. Okay, this is from, uh, uh, there are many versions of this, but when people would put in, like, dungeons, and you're there, and it's you're awake for a long period, and there's little or no light much of the time, they would either eyes open or closed, they would see all of this display like the neurovisor. Oh, right. right. And so they would wait, and that was their entertainment. That, that the, the, okay, first there are phosphenes, like little, and then you go into the entopic. The entopic is like, these are colors I've never seen before. Then you get the geometry and all the dimensionality. Then if you hang there long enough, then it's the open sesame. You get edetic where you start to see, you know, places and people and scenes and the whole thing. So the sensory deprivation is one of the ways to access primary consciousness, the psychedelic zone. And it was, I mean, famous so much so that it has this name, the prisoner cinema, that they would just wait. They would be awake in the dark and the brain starts to populate itself with all of these redundant feedback cycles and all these things start to happen. And there you are. Wow. This, this must be, I guess, the same phenomenon as these uh, darkness retreats. My friend and fellow Austinite, Aubrey Marcus, yeah. was telling me about one of these. I think he made a documentary about it. I don't know yeah. if it's come out yes. yet, but he said that... Um, I don't know if this is what he perceived to be happening yeah. or what's happening, but he yeah, said yeah. it was like a DMT trip. Yes, well, <laughs> Essentially, after a couple of days, well, you're, just, this is you're tripping point. balls. Well, you know? this is the point, that our brain has the capacity to do this. And it's not a malfunction. DMT may be involved or not involved. The brain is neurologically capable of letting go of restricted network relationships for periods of time, normally 
naturally, and positively. So the hypnagogic, to me, it's a reference, but it's a restrictive reference because the thought is, well, that's, that's that transition time. No, it works because you begin to move into deep relaxation, but you're still semi-conscious. Well, you can learn to be fully conscious. So you can have your sleeping dreams and your waking dreams. When these waking dreams start to become more lucid, what does lucid mean? It has two meanings, full of light, but it also means clear perception. Like if you're in the hospital, they want to check, is he lucid? Do you know your name? Do you know the time of what day it is? Like I, sometimes I don't know what day it is, so I don't know if I got a problem. But like, are you lucid? So when you start to have lucid waking dreams, if you can drop into deep conscious relaxation, that is not the goal, but that's the gateway. That's the gateway. And if you can pass through that gate, what's on the other side of that is all the stuff you want. That's where it lives. That's the juice. That's the juice. So when you start to have the ability for lucid waking dreams, guess what happens to your sleeping dreams? They start to become lucid. The lucidity, the clear perception that I am having this experience is a normative, skillful process that you can develop in the brain. Hence the dream yogas and all these things that are in the traditions that, that I've, I practice throughout my life. It's like, oh, there it is. And we, none, basically not even aware uh, in a common sense. And the other is we're not encouraged. You know, as kids, kids can do this, but we don't encourage it. And they kind of unlearn to do it. It's normal. It's normal. Call it fantasizing. Call it imagine. Drop in and you can see, you know, people sometimes ask me, how do you know what to do with the, how do you know how to make these things? Because I call it light choreography. Well, one is I study my ass off. But the other is the truth. We all want the truth, don't we? <laughs> the truth is many of the kind of what I'll call insights that I get on how to do it come while I'm doing it. Oh, right, right. I just had an idea. What's that? We need to make a waterproof neurovisor so you can take it in a float tank. I'll put that on my to-do <laughs> yeah, list. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but no, ser- I mean, seriously and not. But I was thinking about yeah. uh, just the, you know, thinking about the darkness retreats and these, yeah. and these different yeah. stages that you go through, mm-hmm. you know, those access points to deeper yeah. levels of consciousness. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and when you were talking, I was like, oh, I've experienced that in float tanks, sure. man. You know, yeah. you, deprivation. Yeah, the sensory deprivation, 20 minutes, 30 minutes into it, all of a sudden you got no body anymore. DHL or FedEx. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Right, right. 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 Okay, here's the thing that's important. Uh, I'll bring up because we're talking about these things and also Lucia, gorgeous device. Um, this design is um, complex and uh, it may not seem it, but there are so many optometric parameters built into this that won't happen if you have like sunglass goggles or won't happen with Ochi or any other kind of similar distance device. When this thing is flickering, it's not product pitch. This is important stuff. This is advancement right now in the technology that there are three levels of optometric signaling going on simultaneously, macro, meso, and micro. Really? Yeah. 
Within the lights. Within this design with okay. the lights. Okay. Right? So that the distance this is from the retina, the height, what's the bottom of the, the bottom, the, 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 the bottom <laughs> of the height and the left and the right, right, peripheral, uh, are within the visual field with rotating eyes, oh. right? Because you know the whole thing, like when somebody is like looking up or looking down, uh, um, I can control controls too strong. I can strongly influence the general neurological autonomic state just by where the lights are. Forget about the flickering thing. Mm -hmm. Just what lights are turning on where. Oh. Okay, like from in, in standard meditation, well, most traditions, if you're sitting, you're not doing a Vedic you know, mantra. If the mind starts to become overactive, the guidance is roll your eyes down, look down, and that'll calm the overactivity cognitively. If you start to get dopey and doze off, roll your even with your eyes closed, roll your eyes up, and that triggers stimulation. So I can have the lights moving up or moving down in cascades, depending on what state I'm seeking. Also, and this is some of the secrets, I won't say Morgan, these are my secrets, yeah. but the, like the direction of rotation because sometimes you'll see the, the lights sort of like doing, it's not, they're not just, they're moving around. Mm -hmm. That directionality and dynamics also is a strong influence on the nervous system. And even like in EMDR techniques, right? I desensitize right, that thing, right. right? I do that with the lights purposely. It's a destabilization that desensitizes the amygdala. Oh. That's all built into here. That's crazy. It's like, and there's like, that's 20%. That's so cool. <laughs> right? So that's the macro signaling. Okay. Even if the lights weren't flickering, it would work. Really? Yes. Wow. I'm going to take a moment here to share an incredible resource with you. It's called Quantum Upgrade. Every unit of matter contains quantum energy, and so do our cells. Every person has a quantum energy field and constantly interacts with other quantum energy fields. Quantum energy is so important that the 2022 Nobel Prize in Physics was specifically about quantum entanglement. Let me explain here how Quantum Upgrade uses this energy to powerfully enhance our well-being. Through many years of research, Quantum Upgrade has developed one of the world's most potent sources of usable quantum energy. When you sign up for their service, Quantum Upgrade associates your home, your phone, your business, your pet, or even your car with this energy source. And you all know by now what an EMF mitigation fanatic I am. That's because EMF frequencies are incoherent and dramatically stress the human body. Well, Quantum Upgrade counters this problem by harmonizing the EMF to make them no longer toxic to your body. This is why I love the service on my car. My car fatigue has dramatically improved. I mean, it very obviously works. But apart from the EMF benefits, Quantum Upgrade also enhances your vitality in many other ways, which are shown in the studies on their website. So if you want an affordable way to deal with EMF and experience the vitality you deserve, check out quantumupgrade.io and get a 15-day free trial using the code LUKE15. Again, that's quantumupgrade.io. There's an interesting effect. I'm glad. I'm glad we started talking about the lights because I wanted to ask you about this. Yeah. 
there's a very um, novel effect that I get when I'm using the Neurovisor. Yeah. If I pay attention to it yes. and, and just am really present to to my yeah. experience, there's like this percolating sensation yeah. in my, um, I don't know, in my frontal lobe or forehead, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Where it's like, <clears throat> you can just feel it firing to the mm. point where I haven't had anyone look at it, but I feel like you would see the skin moving, <laughs> like on the outside of my skull. Yeah, maybe. That's how pronounced it is. Yeah. There's like a twitching going on uh -huh. in the brain. And um, to the point of that, the yeah. enjoyment, I, I really like how it feels. So yeah, as yeah. I start to notice it, I almost, yeah. and I'm not forcing it at all, but I'm just, I'm putting a little attention on yeah. it and yeah. just yeah. maybe yeah. gently okay. encouraging that okay. to do what it's doing. And I feel like there's some sort of okay. hemispheric synchronization or okay. some parts of my brain are lighting up that are physically yes, um, it is discernible. discernible. And the, the more you do it, the more your brain knows how to dance to these things. Oh, wow. It gets better and better and better and better. Do you think that there is any kind of um, hemispheric synchronization going on? I don't know. These? I don't pursue it. Okay. I don't pursue it. So I don't know. The honest okay. answer is don't know. I'm going to finish this on the quickie okay. because I'm proud of it. And also it's yeah. a big difference on when you ask about comparison of different devices. Sure. I don't say anybody's device is bad. Everybody's device does what it does. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. I described the macro. There's also mesopulsing because the understanding more and more is that all of the frequency elements of the brain are in resonant relationship with the pulsing in the body, like breathing rates, heart rates, peristaltic rates, blood pressure, craniosacral, that you can't have this cacophony of frequencies that they want to exist in different harmonic relationships. So I have mesopulsing that is more somatic. It's, these are the pulse rates that you dance to. You can't dance to 20 hertz, <laughs> 20 times a second. You can't move that fast unless you're on meth, yeah. right? So in here, there are times when I'll insert, while the macro is happening, I'll insert pulsing. And that pulsing works so that the experience starts to resonate whole body and not just cranial. Oh, wow. Then there's the micro flickering, and that flickering, there are so many things going on there that a particular frequency, 18 hertz, 12 hertz, is like a musician talking about a note. It's context. Hmm. Dog, cat, bites. Dog, bites, cat. Cat, bites, dog. Same three words, two different meanings. Mm -hmm. So the, the sequencing, the rate of change, then there's this thing called latency where I can change this at an absolute rate, but the brain cannot process at an absolute rate. It can't, there's a latency. So whatever signal happens here, depending on how quickly I move it, that signal bleeds into the next signal, bleeds into the next signal, and what you have is you have a novel signal emerge that is neither one nor the other it's the product it's the baby of these two and it goes on and on and on uh part of it is like a screenplay like if you write a screenplay for a movie <clears throat> and you want to bring up more of that character's qualities what's the conventional tool in screenwriting it's super easy you create some kind of conflict 
when that character experiences a conflict, you <laughs> right? Or when you start dating someone and you're in the honeymoon phase yeah. and, and you think you know who they are yeah. until there's a conflict. And probably them yeah. of you as well. Right. You know, to be Go fair. traveling. Check yeah. it out. Right. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I purposely introduce conflict, destabilization at certain times because of the way that the brain will want to come back because the brain wants to recognize it wants to know so i say whoa, whoa, whoa. is like, what you know what about this oh you kind of create an appetite for the signal so just going back not critically but brain entrainment has none of this mm-hmm. none and this is a domain of exploration that is to me it, it it is, in the best of senses, psychedelic. It is mind-manifesting experience. And you've got to exercise. I say sometimes that the visor is brain exercise disguised as entertainment. Kind of like Zumba for the brain. That's really well said, actually, because as, yeah. as you were explaining that, um, how you kind of embed the sense of novelty in there. Yeah. I was thinking about, I just actually really enjoy my sessions with this right okay. i mean i find like okay. i always know where this is in the house which is usually <laughs> in my office because that's where i spend most of my time in the daytime yeah but yeah it's not like like even with meditation which like i love the benefits of it but i don't know that i'm ever really excited to stop what i'm doing at four in the afternoon and like shut everything down when yeah. I, especially when there's some inertia at play yeah it's like oh, i gotta meditate yeah. yet i've never ended a meditation being like oh that was a waste of time shouldn't have done that literally never you know <laughs> yeah yeah but i'm not drawn to it in the same way we're like yeah. it's like a juicy reward like ooh, there's a piece of candy i know in the cupboard i'm gonna go yeah. eat it you know yeah, and then yeah. i do and i know where it is uh, that's what my experience of um your tech has been yeah. it's just like well where's that thing i'm kind of craving that experience yeah but of course it's the brain craving yeah. that experience and, well, and maybe it's more so because there there are some novel elements with that latency and those yeah. parts baked in that keeps your your brain um out of that totally predictable pattern yeah yeah the uh in free energy principle and all, all these elegant brain theories right now uh, Anil seth in his book you know it leans heavily on it as a materialist it's a it's the okay the theory really simply is that the brain is very good at prediction that it wants shortcuts you know that when i walk through my my yard up in the mountains i look down and i see a snake and i look again and it's a garden hose right that the brain builds these things called priors and literally at least at a neurological level our brain is always jumping to conclusions hmm. Got that right. It always <laughs> jumps to a conclusion. Why? Because it, there's too much energy demand to have every experience be totally virgin. Right? So in, in, this, in this theory, they say that the brain will do everything it can to reduce surprise. Like when you walk down the stairway, you don't want to be surprised that your stairway turned into a boa constrictor. Like that would be a surprise, which of course can happen in a certain brain state. Right? <laughs> I mean, famously, Woodstock, <laughs> when Carlos Santana is playing. Do you know that story? Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. If you know the Woodstock, you know the, some of the stuff that uh, Santana was scheduled to go on later, right? But then it got kicked up. But before the schedule got changed, Hendrix gave Carlos a very heavy hit of mescaline. 
So he went on stage and he was peeking when he was playing the set. Oh my God. And that while he's peeking, his guitar is turning into a boa constrictor and he's playing this snake through, you know, probably the most famous Santana song of yeah. all from Woodstock. So wow. anyway, so the, the brain supposedly for survival of, does its best to minimize surprise. And yet, and yet, this is my challenge to their theory, we delight in certain qualities of surprise, of novelty, you know, humor, and just the, wow, look at that of art, or looking into the baby's eyes, and it's like you go, right? So I think the brain for Darwinian survival seeks to avoid surprise by being predictive, but when it comes right down to it, we just have to let loose and discover and delight in the uncommon in order to not be insane. Well, that brings me to my last uh, question, and that was in regard to fourth state deficiency syndrome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like perfect segue. Thank <laughs> yeah, you, sir. Yeah, well, that, you know, that's another, <laughs> like, I, I think that, I think that many, many, many of the conditions that we suffer are because we lack time spent in the lucid waking dream or whatever you want to call it, um, the fourth state. I think that we fundamentally have a fourth state deficiency. It's like a person's a vegan and they're not doing any B12 supplementation and they, they feel like shit no matter what therapy they do or what they're just like, and they take the B12, it's like, oh, I feel better. So I think that because it's biologically imprinted in our circadian cycle, if you don't let a person wake up, they're going to have a problem. If you don't let a person sleep, they got a problem. If you don't let a person dream, they got a problem. But if you don't let, a, if a person doesn't have this, the so um, these are just words, right? The waking dreams. They're not even what do you mean by dream? But that thing that is on the other side of deep conscious relaxation, where you can stay consciously awake and be like deeply relaxed, especially in the dark. If you don't spend time there, you're going to experience a syndrome that I call fourth state deficiency syndrome. And one of the very first manifestations or symptoms of this syndrome is disturbed sleep because you have a disturbed circadian cycle. A very fundamental element of information processing is not happening. You have the rational mind, you've got some sleeping dreams, but you don't have these wake, you don't have this revelry of creative, information rich exploration that is psychically a nutrient. Yeah. It's a nutrient. So true. I got to say, to finish the thought up, that one of the most common feedbacks that I get, and this is like, no matter what sessions they're using, one of the most common feedbacks I get is normalizing sleep. Really? Yes. With, With regular use, people that don't sleep, or like a PTSD, that kind of thing, or just the insomnia, Right. They say, thank you. I haven't slept since medical school like I'm sleeping now. Wow. And I think 
it's even pretty, if it just did that, you would win. <laughs> you know? It's not a bad thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I think, uh, and I, I'm not making it up. I'm kind of, what well, maybe I am making it up, but that I think that this fourth state deficiency syndrome is, to use the word, is epidemic or pandemic in urban societies. And however you're able to get close to that and taste that, the circadian cycle itself, which is fundamental to health and well-being, starts to, it's like, if you don't get enough sleep, I don't care what therapies you're doing, they're not going to work well. 100%. Right? Yeah, so, especially as you get older, I've found. Well, and you will find increasingly, <laughs> <laughs> my prediction. Damn. So, yeah, I know. So my thought is, well, I think we have a deficiency syndrome. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, you know, ancient cultures, indigenous cultures, and probably even the very few that persist as kind of hunter-gatherer lifeway folks mm -hmm. out there mm -hmm. in the depths of the Amazon or wherever they might still yeah. be able to uh, be allowed to exist. Um, but the, the ritual, the ceremony, dance, fire, entheogenic substances, God all knows what, people, yeah. you know, breathing techniques, all yeah. the rituals, all the things, right? right all right. the different cultures seem to all share in that they value that state as 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 you put it as a nutrient it's it's a coming of age it's a yeah. rite of passage yeah yeah all of these artifacts of these various cultures yeah. are centered around that yeah. and you're so right that in our and i you know i have no problem with capitalism it seems to be the best we've come up with i'm sure yeah. we could do better but let's just say you know Western capitalist society, get to the front of the line, get an education, make a bunch of money and die yeah, with a bunch yeah, of toys, that yeah, kind yeah, of thing, yeah. you know, no rest for the wicked, sleep is for when yeah. you're dead. This kind of mentality, right, the competitive nature of our our culture um, doesn't place any value on on what you're speaking no, to. No, you're nuts <laughs> yeah. if you go there. Yeah, we like, used to praise them. They were the seers, the prophets, right, right? the shamans. And now it's like, you know, he's schizophrenic. Well, this is also, you know, in our culture too, something that I think is a, is a huge problem, uh, especially in relation to cultures that have been at least socially and psychologically successful in the past, mm -hmm. is that we totally denigrate the elderly, right? There's, there's really no place for yeah. elder wisdom here. Elderly yeah. people are, generally speaking, or there are exceptions, mm -hmm. shoved away into nursing homes and they're a yeah. bother to us I rather know, than, yeah. Yeah. you know, rather than the richness of their experience. And even myself, as I when I was younger, I mean, mm -hmm. I didn't have much interest in my grandparents' points of view. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I want to go listen to Zeppelin and ride my skateboard. I don't yeah. want to hear about your yeah. philosophy, right? Yeah. Now, as you know, I'm getting a little <laughs> older. You know, I talk to a guy like you that's twenty yeah. some years older than me, and I'm like, yeah, man, yeah. give me that wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would rather talk to you, someone with life experience and mm -hmm. and earned wisdom, than I would, you know, no offense, your average twenty year old that thinks they have life figured out and knows relatively little. Yeah. About I what the game you. is all about. Okay. So I think you're you're so right in that we're missing that nutrient and then yeah. the carriers of that wisdom and, and yeah. the beneficiaries of that nutrient that have practiced it perhaps more mm -hmm. than us are just kind of shoved away yeah. and ignored. You well, know? I feel so, like I'm a twenty two year old, seventy three year old. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think I think that's a pretty accurate assessment. <laughs> okay, two things. Yeah. Original mind machine. Well, let's call this a mind machine because we would okay. call them that in the 70s and the 80s. The original mind machine was fire. Mm. Because with normal fuel, the average fire, you know, even the campfire or the fireplace, it flickers in and around the 10 hertz rate. It's the original alpha stabilizer. Really? Yeah, flickering fire. Wow. Fire flickers. Hello? It's like, 
and what was the light that we had the only time in the dark caves and the periods and what would you stare and then you look into it and then you could use like a crystal ball where you you know if you can pass that critical zone and go into primary consciousness then you start to see visions and forecast everything you know the so the fi fire was the first mind machine second thing is a caution or a warning or something that's freaking me out i'm not quite sure how to deal with it but uh i'll call it the consumerism of consciousness where awareness just becomes a product hmm. and that's i would say our biz what you do and what i do i think we have to be really sensitively aware that uh we don't turn all of this into just another consumer tilted product that we're trying to sell right i mean that's you know that's the trick when i think about um you know the psychedelic industry or at least what's emerging as an industry right such a positive thing but also a double-edged sword when something yeah once you know finding god becomes a commodity that can be monetized mm -hmm. then right. it gets kind of sticky so let's make you know it I mean? let's make an agreement to be cautious yeah okay yeah, for sure for thank sure thank you very yeah, much man. for sure thank you absolutely um i thought i was done with questions but you made me think of one when you talked about sleep yeah uh there's a track in your app that that for sleep right or maybe it's even a category it's a category yeah and then yeah. there's a few tracks within yeah. that yeah and me as someone who's not only really into the emf stuff but blue light i'm like this thing makes blue light it's flickering flashing and even though your eyes are closed i thought oh man if i do this it's gonna it's gonna shut down my melatonin production and actually activate me and make me alert but of course I'm a good beta tester. I tried it and it had no negative impact on sleep whatsoever. And I think even did help yeah. me fall asleep on a couple of well, occasions. Well, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've, I use it for, for jet lag. I wake up uh, in the middle okay. of the night and I do a session and they clunk. The, there are two that are specific, although many of them are uh, useful. The one called Sleep Angel is more of a sleep training I did that one last night. It's a sleep training. And it could have been called, because I make up the names, right? Yeah. It could have been called learning how to let go. Uh, okay. Because many people don't have the sleep in a positive way because all day they're building up a tension and a charge and they're not, they, they're supposed to say, okay, now I'm going to let go of everything. Mm -hmm. They can't let go of everything. So the idea is a sleep training where you can do it during the day and you'll find that sleep comes more easily. Deep sleep is more of a sleep induction. And I'll take a risk because it's not really true. It's more like a sleeping pill. So it's more induces it, it more kind of makes your brain want to shift. Where sleep angel lets you learn how to let go. And the two relate to each other uh, very nicely. Oh, cool. In that way. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. just found it fascinating that being having a blue light on my face didn't keep me awake it's weird well uh no it doesn't because <laughs> if i'm on my computer or my phone or something yeah. with a bunch of blue light i mean I granted, my eyes are open well okay that's a big deal it will definitely make me more alert that's, and I'll, that's a big deal i'll be more cortisol yeah. than melatonin you yeah know? but in this case one your eyelids are there your eyes are closed mm -hmm. and the other is like we talked about the like the, the the bluetooth thing earlier actually the incoming messaging overrides in most every case any amount of light stimulation that might be triggered uh, so i okay. can't say that there's zero right but the other process overrides that most typically in most people 
Right, that makes sense. It's yeah. much different putting this on than walking into a bathroom and turning on like a big bright LED light, right? <laughs> right. The the but, halogen headlights. Yeah, where it's like immediately stimulating. Yeah, no, it's 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 a different animal. Another thing interesting with the uh, with the flickering light that you have. I mean, yeah. in my world and things we talk about in terms of just interior ambient lighting is you want to avoid flicker, right? If yes. you have fluorescent bulbs, LED bulbs, they yeah, flicker. Yeah. Flicker at sixty hertz, it's really agitating to you subconsciously, and so yeah. on. So I'm always like testing the flicker with slow motion videos. And there's, <laughs> Take a pencil, there's right? No, yeah, there's it's no. Like, it's like trails when you're <laughs> yeah. you're tripping, right? Totally. <laughs> there's no <laughs> flickering lights in in this house for a uh -huh. purpose. But I was thinking, as you were talking about the lights, uh -huh. the reason that this is not agitating is obviously because the frequency is very intentional yeah. and varies. It isn't just stuck at 60 hertz, no, right? No, no, it's it's you know I think shortcut through a longer thing shortcut. If you want to know what the brain loves to do and loves to experience, check out music. Because music is made by the brain for the brain. You don't have to be smart to enjoy music. You don't have to have a particular set of ideas. It's first language level, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And you, you know that without lyrics, without anything, you can experience, it's just pitches and tones and Thing and you can feel sad, you can feel happy, you can feel courageous from the music. We've been able to work with mechanical vibration as humans for a long, long time. The first one, of course, is voice, then hitting things, percussion, and then so on and so on. We've been able to make material vibrate in a way that we can express the brain's language to itself. We've had sunlight, moonlight, firelight. We haven't had the tooled technology to do with light what we've done with sound. Right now, we're right on the cusp of finally having instruments that will finally let you see the music you love. Hot damn. Hot damn. That's cool, man. It is cool. Who have been three teachers that have influenced your life that you might share with us? Um, my mother, uh, my Tibetan Dzogchen teacher who's passed away and Oscar, uh, one of the, uh, apes that I've rehabbed and taken care of. Uh, what's Oscar like? Oscar's amazing, man. He's, he's a gibbon, a Southeast Asian ape. Uh, he was nearly dead from electrocution. Because in the forest, there are too many high-tension wires. They think they're a vine. So he almost died. And oh, so man. God, that's paralyzed. so sad. They wanted to you know, cut. And so I, I took um, uh, just two and a half. I, 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 you know, I have up in the mountains. I had a sanctuary. And I had him actually living, a number of them <laughs> living in the house with me. Very tolerant wife. Um, <laughs> and oh, it like goes on and on and on. And anyway, so it took two and a half years. Uh, six days out of seven that I had to uh, unbandage bandages, hand, abscess wounds, infections, finger amputations. Uh, but bit by bit, the arm started to come back and more and more and more. Um, and, um, you know, we've domesticated certain animals to be the way that we want them to be. And then there are these things called wild animals. They're not wild. They're not wild at all. They're they're the most civilized, predictable, ordered, you know, beings. We're the mm. wild ones. We're wow. the fucking crazy ones. You know, we're the most dangerous animal on the planet. So, especially with primates, 
I'll make this short, but it's deeply meaningful to me. When in the wild, you don't do eye contact directly. It's very dangerous. It's very aggressive. It's confrontational. So, you know, you, you don't do that. And, uh, but when there's a lot of suffering and even death and all these things, when, as I've been, and I, I mean, okay, I'm putting my head down because it's super private stuff. But uh, when they decide to open themselves to you face to face and go eye to eye and let themselves know you and let you know them, inexpressible. Inexpressible. Wow. It's like, oh, I'm so fucking arrogant. I apologize. And I really apologize. So, Oscar. I'm glad I asked you to elaborate. It's a powerful note to end on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, you don't know what you've forgotten until you remember it. Mm -hmm. And we've forgotten a lot. A lot. Well, thank you for helping us remember today, my friend. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Luke. Thank you. Man. I'm so grateful you came to yeah. spend some time with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're welcome. I know Thailand's just a jump away. You get in this, I love Thailand. You get this thing called an airplane. It's amazing. <laughs> they terrify me. <laughs> they terrify me. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, not the flying. It's not, I'm not afraid of flying. It's just like the experience of travel as a whole, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I I love Thailand, man. Such a, such yeah. cool people there. Yeah, such yeah. great people. And tourism, obviously just you know, this COVID, beautiful terrain. COVID blew things up, but there to finish up in the tourist industry, you may know there's this thing called return rate. That if you leave your com- a country like Germany and you go to Argentina, then you go back to Germany. What are the odds you're going to leave Germany and go back to Argentina again? That's the return rate, okay. right? And of all the countries in the world, Thailand has the highest return rate of any country. Really? Yeah. If you go there one time, statistically, the odds are absolutely, if you leave your country, you'll go back to Thailand again. That is Not wild. that you won't go to other countries, sure. but that you will keep on going back to Thailand. Wow. Well, I need to take part in that then because I went and only went once. You go south or north? Uh, south. Yeah, you know, that's like your party boy island, you know, <laughs> thing. Uh, but, you know, the, the grown-ups are in the north. <laughs> yeah, that, is that the case? <laughs> that's the case, okay. man. Chiang, yeah. I think Chiang Mai, the city where I, I live, essentially, yeah. I think it has every possibility of being the next San Francisco. Really? Meaning what happened in San Francisco late 60s, sure. early 70s, creativity, unusual thinking, you know, liberal uh, arts, the, the scientists that, you know, the hippies that save physics and everything. I think Chiang Mai, I think it's shifting east, number one. And I think Chiang Mai has all of the ingredients to be the, the next San Francisco. Noted. Noted. We're going to keep our finger on the pulse of that. And thanks for reminding me how awesome Thailand is. I got to set the intention to get back over there. Okay. You know, intention is what? What comes before intention? Uh, desire. Motivation. Why? Why? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, well, that's the thing. <laughs> if you have an intention, okay. look at what is motivating that intention. Got it. Okay. I want to go back to Thailand is your intention. Right. The question is, well, why do you want to go back? That is going to drive insight into your intent. Like, why would you want to go back to Thailand? Right. Yeah. Like to be in the jungle, to experience people that are from where they're from living successfully and happily. And what would, what would that do for you? Uh, it would 
make me feel fulfilled. Uh-huh. Why would you be fulfilled with that? Um, because it would add richness to my experience. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And variety and a change in perspective. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And what are you doing to do that right now? Um, I think really putting some effort into my present moment awareness. Okay. To appreciate the nuance of the moment. Okay. Rock on. <laughs> Rock on to you, my friend. <laughs> Thanks, Garnett. My pleasure, absolutely, man. Well, that's it, y'all. If you made it to this point, it tells me a lot about you. You are likely someone who wants to expand, to learn, to grow, and perhaps most of all, to awaken. And I'm so thankful that people like Garnett put their brains and hearts into technologies that can assist all of us in doing just that. If you were intrigued by Garnett's information here and want to snag a Neurovisor of your very own, go to neurovisor.com where the code LUKE100 will save you $100. All right, on to next week's episode. We're just going to keep them coming here in 2023. Next week's show is called The Future of Fitness, Electrical Stimulation, and Neurophysical Therapy with New Fit's Garrett Saltpeter. And I highly recommend you tune into that one. Another fascinating deep dive into a wild technology. If you want to learn how to use tech to fix your joints, pain, and injuries in record time, you definitely want to tune in. Just like the show you just heard, it's going to deliver some powerful information that could very well change your life. So thanks for joining me on the wild and never-ending ride called The Lifestylist. Until we meet again next week, stay free, my friends. Mm-hmm.